Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face, episode 251 on Sifted Games. This is the flagship show of Sifted Games at sifted.net. Hope you're settling in. We're ready to give you the next couple hours of intense gaming discussion based on all the biggest topics from the last week. I'm Shane Satterfield, your humble host of the show. You can find me on Twitter at Dinfire, and alongside me, riding in the sidecar, is Matthew Kyle. What's up, Matt? This sidecar is bumpy. <laughs> and you can find Matt, by the way, on Twitter uh, at mkyle. That's K-E-I-L. You can find Sifted on Twitter at Sifted Games. Uh, if you can't afford to contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sifted, make sure you follow us there. That way you'll know when all of our free content goes up on our YouTube channel. How has your week been, Matt? Um, kind of busy. Uh, not with playing games, I'm guessing. <laughs> not really, no. Um, in fact, I missed one uh, that I meant to get to. I didn't get to Pac-Man 99. Oh. Um, although I will get to it because otherwise I know those disappear. Yep. Uh, Nintendo has trained me well. And we'll get to um, it in the show as well. I but, did. I did uh, play a good bit of it. So, yeah, mostly like I don't know this this home stretch of the pandemic uh, is uh, a trial at this point. Uh, not that I should. I feel like I should be used to it by now, but it's like worse now. So I'm just trying to distract myself from things. I've gotten I, I very. Feel, into- I think a lot of people are right there with you, Matt. I think we all feel really ground down at this point um, because. I don't think if you'd have talked to anyone a year ago, anyone would have ever dreamed that we'd be here at this place now. No, no. I mean, we were, I, I remember uh, talking to people and thinking we'd be, you know, uh, out and ready for birthday parties at the end of May. Um, well, originally, it was two weeks, remember? It was yeah. like two weeks to flatten the curve. I mean, I knew that, I knew that wasn't believable, but yeah. uh, it's, uh yeah. I think it's funny. I remember the, the, I think the last time we did it in this, did the show in the studio all together, I had to leave at like four on the I had to leave at four sharp because I had to get down and pick someone up in Irvine. Yeah. And I was like, it's going to take like an hour and a half to get there. Then we're going to, we'll have to like hang out at the mall down there until like traffic <laughs> dies down and come back. And I got from the, where the studio, where you are, the studio in Santa Monica to Irvine in 20 minutes. Yeah. At 4 p.m. on a Tuesday, and I was like, "Okay, what is going here. on?" Like, yeah. but like, look, when there's no traffic and on a, on a commute hour and a weekday in LA, like, the aliens might as well be landing. Like, you're like, <laughs> "What's going on? What happened?" And then, like, we got there. I got there and I picked her up. And we went to Irvine's little little mall there. We got something to eat. Um, and actually, reminiscing about this reminds me: the last restaurant I ate in was a California fucking pizza kitchen. Um, <laughs> the last restaurant uh, but, I ate in. I think was Lucille's barbecue. The last thing I did was I went to see the Penguins play the Kings. Mm. And I I went and we went and sat and I, and I looked at my phone at the traffic just to see like oh I wonder what it's going to be like you know, you know just for fun and it's like twenty minutes to her apartment up in L.A. I'm like we could just go now if you don't want to hang around here for like another hour. It's so <laughs> like yeah let's do that. So went back and that's when I knew things were real. Yeah. It was like okay something's actually going to happen here. Yeah, because we actually did do a show like. A week after things were still were starting to get intense. Um, yeah, but I didn't come in. Like, right. that, like you, you and um, and Mitch were there, but yep. we, but I, I zoomed in. Yeah, because here we have like uh, you guys may not even remember because it's been so long since we've done a real show in the studio. We have that divider in between yeah. the two rooms, so I could stay in one room and Mitch could stay in the other room. We were perfectly safe. Uh, but then it just got to the point where it just it got so bad that I was like, it's I don't think it's safe to be anywhere near other people at this point. So we ended up going to our 
Zoom call uh, version of Game Face, which has worked out surprisingly surprisingly well, I'll say. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy not having to drive to Santa Monica and back. But, yeah. I mean, uh, even it like, certainly loses something that in the dynamic department. Our discussions aren't as good as they used to be. I would definitely agree with that. But production-wise, production quality-wise, after a while, I, I'm pretty happy with the way the show looks and now sounds as well. Um when mm-hmm. we first tried, and people probably wonder why Matt now can't see the B-roll, it's because the way we were sending the B-roll through Zoom, it goes back into a computer. Well, that was what was creating the echo on the show for a couple episodes when you guys were like, oh, I can hear Shane's voice echoing. That's because my voice was getting sent back into the PC, into Zoom, and it was picking it up, and that's why the so that's why Matt can't see B-roll now. We had to unplug that device, uh, so it's not kind of sending my voice back around in the loop, but... Otherwise, I've been pretty happy with what we've managed to do with the show. It's been crazy, man. Like, it's crushed us financially, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, I did my taxes like everybody is doing, and I literally cried when I saw how much money I made last year. Like, it was... I'm not even going to say how much because it was literally embarrassing how much money I, I mean, made you're, uh, you're still open, more than Arclight can say. We are open, but we are holding on by a thread. Yeah. Um, we've lost. That was, that was the big tragedy yesterday was at Arclight Theaters, one of the big big uh, luxury theater brands in uh, uh, L.A. is not reopening. They got um, so close. <laughs> it's like yeah. they were right there. They're the finish line 10 feet away. Um, and I think almost, a lot of it's businesses. almost like if you had federal assistance for businesses, you you would have been uh, would have been a different story. Anyway, yeah, um, I've been trying. I mean, they, to, that venue thing. will come back. Like you don't revamp theaters yeah. into another type of venue. That's millions and millions of dollars of of development work. And the Cinerama Dome, which was part of ArcLight Hollywood, is a historical landmark. So someone else move in there. Probably Disney. Yeah, but um, it's just it's just a shame. Like ArcLight was one of the places like. Yeah, I think we all, like, you know, G4, when we first moved to L.A., like, I think we all went to Arclight stuff all the time because there was no theater like that in San Francisco where we came from. And we're like, oh, it's like luxury and everyone has to shut up and they throw you out if you use your phone. Like, it was great. So that's a big, big blow to the to the movie nerd uh, community here. That was here. a great place to go see movies. It was pretty much the only place I went to see movies anymore, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't go to a lot anymore, but when I went, I went to Arclight every time. I pretty much go there. I was, you know, well, before that, I, before the, the end times. <laughs> I pretty much went there and uh, one of the Arclight places or the Chinese theater, which is also great. Yeah, we've lost pretty much everyone off of our old subscription system. And our Patreon hasn't really budged. So we're in a bad spot, mm. just to be honest. Like, we're just holding on by a thread at this point. So it's been tough for everyone. I don't feel sorry for myself. I know that people have lost their jobs and they have a lot more priorities in their life as far as spending their money than subscribing to a gaming information channel or publication or whatever. So I totally get it, um, but that doesn't make it any easier. So we're doing the best we can, just trying to create as much content as we can, trying to keep the stream steady so that we we don't lose people and hopefully we can snag some people. Um, If you guys have ever been on the fence on supporting us financially, right now would be a really good time to do it, like a really good time to do it. Uh, if you're someone who watches a show on YouTube or you listen to the show on any of the podcast services or if you just tune in to Twitch and watch it for free, we could really use the help right now. So if you've ever been thinking about it and maybe you got yourself a job again and things are turning around or maybe you're someone who lapsed um, and if we used to be a subscriber and you're not anymore and you thought about coming back, now would be a really good time to do that. Just letting you guys know we'd really appreciate it. 
Um, one more thing before we get on with the show. We do have a great show for you guys today. We have tons of topics. Uh, it might seem a little bit like machine gun fire. We're not going to spend a ton of time on each one. Well, a couple of them I think we may end up because I think the discussions could get really good, particularly the first one. Uh, but anyway, this Saturday, we'll be doing the live recording for Ask Shane Anything. Uh, we did one last month. Uh, not a lot of people showed up. It's really bizarre, Matt, because I see other Patreons, and they do stuff like that, and it's like the most popular thing they do. But we mm-hmm. did one last month, and like we had hardly, hardly anyone show up. Uh, it's happening on Saturday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. If you're a patron at $7 or more per month, you can get in on the Zoom call. Um, and we could take as many people as show up, and the more people that show up, the better it's going to be. Um, so put that in your calendar, mark it down somewhere. I think that was part of the problem. People were like, oh, yeah, Shane mentioned that, and then a lot of people forgot about it before Saturday rolled around. Saturday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Please show up, bring lots of questions. I will answer all of them. And then right after I finish that, Matt, I am going for my first vac shot. I am finally getting my first vaccination shot on Saturday. I was supposed to get it yesterday, and I got there, and all. And here's the funny part. All I had they had was Johnson & Johnson. And I told the person up front, I'm like, uh, that's the last of the three that I wanted because it's the least effective of the three. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, well, too bad. You know, you can go reschedule and leave. And they're like, but appointments aren't until, like, June now or something because they just opened up California to everybody, 16 and over or 18 and over. Is it 16? Uh, 18. 18. Um, I think it, oh, it depends on the, like, it's, I think you have to be 18 for Moderna, but Pfizer can be 16. Okay. Um, So anyway, I kind of said at the door, I'm like, I don't really want Johnson & Johnson. They're like, well, you can wait until June. And I'm really trying to go home. Like, I have not seen Mm -hmm. my family in a year and a half. Like, all I have left is my mom. I haven't seen her in 18 months. Um, But all my sisters, my nieces and nephews, everyone, I haven't seen in like a year and a half. So I'm really trying to go home. So I was just like, screw it. I'll get the Johnson & Johnson. So I went through the whole process. And it's amazing, by the way, Matt. Like, how slick and big everything is here in LA. Mm-hmm. Like how everything was set up. I was impressed. I was like, wow, like this is impressive what they've done here. They had 20 vaccination stations at a Marriott. Like they had taken over like yeah. the ballroom of a Marriott. They had 20 vaccination stations. They had a huge room that you went into that had like five nurses in it for monitoring people after they got the vaccine to make sure that they didn't have a reaction or whatever. And I sit down in the chair, and she's like, are you ready? You're getting the Johnson & Johnson, right? And I was like, I guess. I don't really want that. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, it's the least effective. I would rather have one of the other two. And she's like, well, then why don't you get the other two? And I was like, well, because the waiting list is too long, and I want to see my family, blah, blah, blah. She's like, sit here, honey. And she <laughs> left and came back and handed me a piece of paper. She's like, you have an appointment for Saturday at 2 o'clock. So she hooked me up. And then today, I'm sure you saw a lot of people saw the news about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine causing blood clots, which is really just all a bunch of BS. Like six people have got it out of like 8.6 million people who have mm-hmm. got the vaccine. It's they, just, took a bigger, they took a bigger risk driving to the place to get the shot. Yes. It's, it's, it's nothing. It just gives fodder to really, like the anti-vax it's, people, though. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's it's a shame it even had to be made public because it's, it it's, probably it's a non-thing. It probably should to be honest. Not like, a thing. Like if you look at like all the disclaimers at the bottom of the commercials for like allergy drugs – like the chances oh, yeah. of dying from an allergy drug are higher than like having a problem mm-hmm. with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Clotting issues are something like fifteen times more likely with the birth control pills than it is with than the, the vaccine. Than this. Yeah. Like it's it's nonsense. But this is going to get spread all over and smeared yeah. by the oh, anti-vaxxers yeah. and blah blah blah. So anyway, people who want it, want to believe it are going to latch onto it. And it's just going to be more. You know, I mean, eventually, 
I mean, I am I am done with my vaccination stuff. I got lucky and found uh, some found a place that had some doses they had to th- we're gonna have to throw out in March and got my first one was Pfizer, my second one was Moderna. Wait, they ran out of Pfizer. You got two different vaccines. Yep. I didn't know you could do that. They don't like you to do it because it messes up the bookkeeping. But if you can't get one or the other, the two mRNA ones are pretty much compatible. The uh, pharmacist described it as a uh, uh, paperback and a hardcover version of the same book. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and a lot of doctors have ended up doing that because of supply constraints, apparently mixing them. So the only, so there's theoretically the uh, exact same effectiveness. Oh, wow. um, I didn't know that. Yeah. The only downside is Moderna's side effects are worse. Uh, yeah, and so they that. were, they were, but, uh, Interesting. but I'm done with it now. Yep. I, um, I'm getting Moderna on Saturday. I don't know what will happen in three or four weeks when I get my second one, but I'm getting Moderna on Saturday. I mean, the good news is that it was only like 10, 7 to 10 hours of feeling ugh. Yeah. And, um, my mom next... got Moderna didn't feel anything. Literally. Yeah, older older people feel less. She's 70-some uh, years old, and she's less like— Less active immune systems. She's like, my shoulder was sore. Like, I had just gotten yeah. any shot, and that's it. She didn't feel anything from either one of them. And they say the second yeah, the, shot is supposed to be worse than the first, so— Yeah, it the second one for me— You know you know how, like, when you've been sick a much a day, a long time, for a while, and, like, you had that first day you feel better? Yeah. But you're not 100%? Yeah. That's what that's it felt like. Felt. Yeah. Uh, so not terrible. I've had way worse. Let's see. Before we get going, I want to thank people who subscribe with Twitch Prime. Also, people, if you can't afford to help us on Patreon, um, Twitch Prime is a is a great alternative. There are instructions on YouTube down in the description to do that. Uh, let's see. Sound Wizard, thank you for Twitch Prime. Mike's Q, thank you for Twitch Prime. Um, Tiny2K, thank you for Twitch Prime. Let's see if we got any more here. We're getting towards the middle end of the month, so most people subscribe by now. JamRain99, thank you. Thank you for all the gift subs again, JamRain99. You're giving out to our audience who are on the stream. Another reason to tune in live for Game Face on tw- at twitch.tv slash siftedgames. Tiny2K, <laughs> thank you for all the gift subs to all our viewers. It's freaking awesome. Uh, let's see if we got any more. Okay, that's it for the early part of the show. And it's time to get on with the show. That's one of the longest intros we've had in a really long time. Uh, but it's time to get on with the show. We're going to kick things off with undoubtedly the biggest story of the week. Jason Schreier strikes again, Matt. Uh, so here's a little secret for everybody. Jason Schreier is coming on three-night weekend in two weeks. Oh. I think it might be the— <laughs> He's blowing the lid off, sifted. <laughs> <laughs> he, has a, uh, he has a new book coming out that I think releases like a few days after that episode will go live. So he's going to come and talk about his book, obviously, but we're going to talk. It's, mm. it, it's probably going to be the best episode of three-night weekend yet. I've already got questions together for him. Um, I admire his work a lot. I wish there were more Jason Schreiers in the gaming industry and less influencers slash called a personality people, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but I really respect what he does. Um, it, I think you'd have to work in games journalism to understand how hard it is for someone like Jason to do what he does. Because no EIC or head of editorial or head of content at a gaming publication is looking for someone to work two weeks for one story. They want you to just constantly be cranking out content to feed the machine. Uh, the fact that Kotaku allowed him to do that, again, I have a lot of respect for Steven Totillo uh, for allowing him to do that and be a, literally a real journalist. Um, and so I have a lot of questions along that stuff, talking to him about how he gets his scoops. It's going to be a good episode of Three Night Weekend. But anyway... He strikes again. He breaks yet another story, this time about, I guess the bigger story, Matt, is about 
how Sony is maybe starting to shift a little bit and how it looks at game development. But caught up in all of that was that Days Gone 2 has been canceled, or actually was never greenlit. Um, and this rides on the heels of the fact that the two studio heads from Sony Bend left the studio last December. So mm-hmm. Schreier posts his story, and it's another barn-burning story with tons of detail and information about what's going on behind the scenes at Sony. And then that's followed up by David Jaffe, who ends up doing an interview with the last person to leave. I think he was the was he the lead designer, I believe, Jeff Ross. Was he the lead designer on Days Gone? I thought he was the creative director, creative but I might director. be wrong. Uh, but, but those two positions left Sony Bend basically after all this stuff happened because the sequel to Days Gone, which was going to be just called Days Gone 2, was nixed by Sony like back in like 2019. So it's been a long time that those guys have known that their project wasn't going to happen. And to paraphrase the story from Jason Schreier, essentially what, what happened was they pitched Days Gone 2 to Sony. Sony rejected it. And then Sony started pushing sort of like support stuff on Sony Bend. So Sony Bend then pitched Sony the idea of remaking the first Uncharted. Um, And that was something that they would have been excited about. And honestly, Matt, I think that probably would have been a good idea because the first Uncharted could use to be remade. It's If you play it now, it feels like a game from another time. It doesn't feel like a modern video game. And I think they probably could have done that game justice. Um, However... Sony had other ideas for Sony Bend, and instead, it wanted Sony Bend to work on a remake of the first The Last of Us for PlayStation 5. And this project was actually pitched by Sony San Diego, and Sony San Diego formed a small team that was never even officially announced or anything, of like, I guess they said like 30 or 40 people, and had wanted to do the project. And then, essentially, Sony took the project from Sony San Diego... And that team ended up dissolving, and they tried to shove it onto Sony Bend. Um, and that's sort of the crib notes version of Schreier's story. Did I miss anything, Matt? I don't think so. That, that's everything as I remember it. And um, there were further rumors that the last of us thing was really like a remake that was also trying to bring it in line with what the TV show is going to be. Um, so it would have been kind of a remake reimagining sort of thing. Which I guess I can see, I don't know, like, I, I feel like neither of those things need to be remade. Like, like Uncharted is pretty creaky, but, like, it's been done. Like, Last of Us has been done. Like, Look, Matt, the, I don't get the point. Another version of The Last of Us is freaking insane to me. Insane. Yeah. We just got, like, the upgraded PS5 version of the game. The game has sold, like, 20 million copies. It was a PlayStation Plus free giveaway. Why would they spend the resources of one of their big first-party studios like Sony Bend to work on a remake of a game that's already sold 20 million copies and isn't that old? I don't. What do you I think the reasoning like, is behind that? I mean, you know, I mean, it is, I replayed it last year, and it is, you know, the first one is kind of creaky at this point. I thought it was always a little creaky, actually, gameplay-wise. But like anything, it's it's eight years old. Any, any eight-year-old game, with very rare exceptions, is going to feel that way. Like, game gameplay evolves, and g- games age worse than almost any other any other like entertainment medium uh, because the way you engage with them changes and gets better as time goes on. In fact, today's so Pactor Factor, we just published today for patrons and Twitch Prime subscribers, mind you. Um, he, 
he talks about that because the mm-hmm. question is, can Game Pass become the Spotify of video games? And one of the points he makes is that games don't age the way like music does. Like he talks yeah. about how his daughters know all the words to the song American Pie. And the song mm-hmm. is like ancient. It's literally like 50 some years old. Yeah, that song's older than we are. And yeah, and they're still and they're listening to that song and they've learned all the words to that song. And his point is like that doesn't happen with games. It's a churn. No. And that's what, you know, one of the few things I agree with Hideo Kojima on is uh, when he's asked the question about games being art, uh, he kind of he kind of sidesteps it. But he basically says, like, it's, you know, making it as art, like there's art in games, but he has trouble categorizing games, the, the games themselves as works of art, because the experience with the, with them does not remain consistent. Like in his, I think his comparison was like, if you look at the Mona Lisa or watch seven samurai when they came, when they were made versus now you are getting a comparable experience to what someone who the, both of those people are getting a comparable experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like watching a movie hasn't really changed appreciably since seven samurai was made. But if you try to play metal gear on the NES now, mm-hmm that's a very big difference in terms of how you engage with that piece of work. Um, so I kind of agree with him that the, the, the lack of, you know, the fact that you need some kind of nostalgia or some kind of like preset context um, is, and, and I've had that on my mind uh, the last day or so, especially because I finally went back and turned my PS3 and Vita back on. Uh, in fact, here's my Vita sitting right here i put mine back into this um, box like a month ago i probably shouldn't have i should have waited well, an extra two weeks <laughs> well i loaded up the stores to see if there was anything i want to buy before all this stuff shuts down yeah um, and i was you know picking out things and like of course nothing's on sale because they know they got us over a barrel there but i was looking at stuff and i'm like oh you know I should, maybe i should get digital versions of like persona 2 you know since you know just to have them on there even though i do have the physical copies and like part of me was like i don't know if i ever want to play those games again yeah. Like, you know, I didn't play the, them too. You know, I'm play, I played uh, Persona 1 when I was on the PS1. But I never played Persona 2 because it didn't come here, really, except for uh, Eternal Punishment. And, like, when I, you know, Innocent Sin finally got brought over to the U.S. as a PSP game. And I played it, and I didn't like it very much because it was archaic. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing problem. I um, rarely go back and play old games, Matt. Like, hardly ever. I find it very hard to do. To be I do honest. sometimes with stuff that I like really like or or you know have strong old feelings about, but it's very hard for me to go back to an old game that I didn't play at the time. Yeah, I okay. notice that over and over again. Yep, I I don't really enjoy it to be perfectly honest with you. Even mm-hmm. just like playing with like the old controllers, like the N sixty four controller. Like I loved it <laughs> when I had the N sixty four. I thought it was like god tier when the N sixty four was active. But now you go back to that controller, like. It's just a pain in the ass to play anything with it. Yeah. it just I mean, it. I enjoy doing that for you, know, like with the Duke and stuff like that. But the novelty wears off pretty fast. Yeah, it's, it's like why are why are the you know, or even on the controller S when I was playing like some old original Xbox stuff, I was like, who who put the black and white buttons down here? Who did that? <laughs> I forgot why? about those black and white buttons. Why did you move those buttons? over there? What the hell are you thinking? <laughs> it is crazy. So. Um, so Jeff Ross, who is one was one of the was one of the lead developers at Sony Ben, went on Jaffe's show, and I recommend watching it. By the way, it's on Jaffe's YouTube channel. I think it's actually YouTube.com/slash Jaffe or something like that. Um, the broadcast is like four hours, but you really only have to watch the first hour because the first hour is Jaffe interviewing Jeff Ross, and then the rest of it are just is just technical difficulties and like fans trying to call in and ask him questions and. 
having to suffer through the inane chat. I'll say this, Matt, watching that, I really appreciate our chat. Our chat <laughs> is like God tier compared to most online chats. I Watching that drivel scroll down on Jaffe's channel, I was like, my God, we're spoiled. Like, it's just bot after bot and people just spamming like hateful crap. I was like, man, we don't get any of that. Like, it's just intelligent discussion in our, in our chat on Game Face, which I think portends to the fact that we've kind of pushed all along for an older audience on Sifted. But, and I think that has definitely helped. But wow. <laughs> I hadn't seen anything like that in a while. I don't watch a ton of streamers on Twitch, to be per- perfectly honest with you. Um, so anyway, Jaffe's interview with Jeff Ross is like the first hour, and I do recommend going and watching that and supporting his YouTube channel because he did score the interview, and he did do a pretty good job with the interview. He has, I think he could get away with more than most people could because Jeff knew that he used to work at Sony. And so also, Jaffe knew the right questions to ask because he has worked at Sony and he's been in that ecosystem. And probably one of the bigger things that that people are wondering was, did Jeff Ross leave because of Days Gone 2 not getting greenlit by Sony? And first Mm -hmm. thing is that Jeff said that, I can't say a whole lot because I'm under NDAs. So totally get that. But he did, so he... He did share a lot, and we're going to get into some of the stuff that he said, but he also, people were attacking Schreier after that interview and saying, see, he didn't corroborate a lot of the stuff that you said in in that article. And Jeff Ross went on Twitter and said, I'm just going to say this, um, Jason Schreier is a professional who works very hard at his job. He is able to say things I am unable to say. End of tweet. Mm -hmm. Basically saying everything that he said is right on the money, 100% correct, without saying it and breaking an NDA. And I'm guessing he talked to a lawyer before he sent that tweet. At least I hope he did, to make sure he was covering his butt. But Jeff Ross said that what happened was, when they first started Days Gone, they were a team of 45 people. And they were falling behind, getting way behind. Because remember, that game was shown a long time before it ever really yeah. came out. And he said that you know they started staffing up as time went on. And he said by the time they got to the end of the project, the team was about 120 people strong. And he said, and this is interesting, that really the big problem that they had was that all the new employees were millennials. I mean, he said that straight up. He said, he said, um, (laughs) he said that they didn't want to iterate, that they would finish something and that was it. They didn't want to go back and work on it again. Um, and he said, that's how development works. You build something, there's something wrong with it. You go back and you fix it and you polish it up and then you move on. And he said, none of the new employees wanted to do that. He said that they would chafe anytime someone came to them and said, you need to go back and work on something you worked on again. And it was a constant struggle with his millennial aged employees to get them to want to polish up the parts of the game that they worked on them to their satisfaction. He said it was just a constant struggle. Um, he said they also didn't want to crunch. And so... Anytime the the clock struck five or six o'clock in the evening, they would either leave or they would want to leave. And if they weren't allowed to leave, they would throw a fit. And he said that they ended up spending so much time managing the new workforce as far as people not wanting to iterate on their work or just wanting to leave early or just leave on time, really. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lambast anyone for thinking they should get to leave at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but, but I he, have encountered the the refusal to iterate thing with the younger the younger generation, uh, and uh, that I I do recognize. I mean, look, I'm the same way. I don't like doing multiple drafts of things, but sometimes you got to do it. No, every time you have to do it. Every time, 
There, I've never written anything that I haven't done at least two revisions on, ever. Like, I the have, second revision then. is just to make sure you haven't made, like, spelling and grammatical errors when you were typing like a beast. Third time is when you really polish it up and make it sing. Um, you have to revise everything. Anything creative that you work on, you always have to revise it. You always have to iterate it. Like, I mean, it's certainly a team-based thing. I, I write final drafts, usually. Like, I'd say at least 50% of the time, outside of spelling typos, what I write is what goes up. Hmm. Um, but I can organize, I organize things in my head very carefully before I write, type anything out. Um, I don't, as far as I understand, most people do not do that. And when you're dealing with a, a team-based project, um, you have to incorporate multiple points of view and ideas into what the final thing will be. And since each person has to do their own part, those parts have to then have, you know, notes given and and ideas incorporated and tweaks made and sometimes someone's going to think of something that you didn't think of when you made that part of it and like like that is the whole that's the whole potato of yep. game development like that's that's how it works and look he said that he doesn't want to crunch either he's like i hate it he's right. like i would like to be able to spend time with my kids and my wife i would like to go home and kick well, up my well also like one of the ways to not crunch is to um do the iterating without arguing about it yeah, this is true. But he's, that's what he said. He said a lot of their time was spent just managing the new employees. And he said that the mm -hmm. employees that they brought in didn't know who anyone was, and they were all fresh. A lot of them were fresh out of school or fresh off of their first game, and so they didn't have a lot of experience with how games, how game development really worked, and particularly how big budget, quote unquote, triple A, but development mm -hmm. worked. I mean, it was an interesting thing to hear, just because like one of you know, I I know there's Days Gone has its fandom at this point, which I don't know, like, I feel like there's like this weird trend now of like picking a mediocre thing and deciding it's the best thing in the world and refusing to admit that there's anything wrong with it. Um, but like, I, you know, days gone is fine, but like, uh, and I, it's not like I wanted a days gone to necessarily, but I will say that like the lack of a days gone to is a little disappointing because it felt like it felt like a days gone to would really solidify the ideas that were in that first game. Cause a lot of the ideas in the first game, I like a lot, but it just felt like a lot of the ideas in days gone. I was like, Oh, so you, you, you just stopped there. Like you, you just, that was it. And that makes a lot of sense when he says that, that they had trouble going back and polishing stuff and reiterating on things because a lot of the, a lot of the, the basic gameplay elements of days gone feel like second or third drafts at best. Yep. Um, you know, and like, you know, the horde mechanic is really cool, but it feels half baked. Yeah, it does. It feels half a done. A lot of the game felt know? half baked to me. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. It, the, yeah. A lot of the game did. And his point about crunch was like, I don't like it either. And I don't like having to tell people that they need to stay late or whatever. He's like, but, we didn't have any more budget. Sony wouldn't give us any more money. We had the max amount of employees that we were going to get. And the game was already completely late, completely delayed, and in a lot of ways still broken. And so what are we supposed to do? Wait another five years for it to come out? Sony just cancels the project then. Nobody gets mm -hmm. their names in the credits. Nobody gets any credit for anything that they've done. And he's like, so what is the worst of the two evils? And he's like, Sony was very gracious as far as paying people crazy overtime rates for their work. Um, so he's like, I was in a, between a rock and a hard place. He's like, I wish I could run a studio where there was no crunch. I wish there was no crunch mm -hmm. on days gone, but what am I supposed to do? Just cancel the project that we've been working on for six years. Like 
What yeah, I mean, if you're going to join most game development teams, I think, you know, it's not like crunch should happen, but it's sort of a reality of, you know, it's the difference between what's, you know, how things should work on paper and the real politic of the situation. Like, you got to admit that you might have to have to do that. Not everyone can be Relic. You know, Relic had a thing came out about Relic this week. There's no, there's no crunch at Relic. Like, yeah. they just don't do that. Like, they they plan, you know, part of that is probably because almost everybody at Relic is like 40 minimum yeah. you know it's and just a bunch of old it. guys with, with like <laughs> old guys and gals with uh, with families and lives to get back to and they just plan everything out and they know what they need to do and they get it done yeah they're um, really experienced yeah and uh you know obviously like but again like relic is a fairly independent situation uh and they know exactly what they're making sony bend is beholden to a corporate master that doesn't really give a shit uh what they need they just want that that zombie game out in a timely manner and they weren't getting it. So that was what was going to happen, I guess. What is um, the answer though? So if you're in Jeff Ross's position, what do you do? I mean, there's nothing you can really can do. I mean, I guess you give a, you give a speech to the whole company saying like, this is the reality of things. Like, and if you don't want to do that, I guess, you know, you're free to go. Yeah, um, I mean, that's the other it, thing is that, you know, People are free to leave these jobs. You know, if they don't like it, mm-hmm. they can quit. You know, they don't have. I mean, to it's, stay a, it's there. a shitty, it's a shitty situation, and mm-hmm. it's a, it's kind of a non-answer. It's not, you know, it doesn't solve anything. But you're not going to change how the how Sony works. You know, it's certainly not at a studio that like you know Sony doesn't really seem to care that much about. Like you're not churning out stuff like. Uh, Naughty Dog and Insomniac, like, you know, you're not really paying Sony's bills. So, you know, Sony's going to see a, a place like Sony Bend as, like, you should be grateful that we'll allow you to continue to exist kind of thing. Yeah. Um, not everybody gets to be Team Eco and deliver a game for 11 years and then have it turn out to be The Last Guardian. Well, that was sort of the next angle to the whole discussion. And again, go and watch it if you have some time. Watch Jaffe's conversation with him. That was sort of the the next angle on their conversation was talking about Sony internal development in general and how it seems to be pulling away from doing solids for the gamer, meaning developing and publishing kind of these smaller projects that probably aren't going to generate a ton of revenue but do generate a lot of goodwill among its fans. And this shift to what they kept calling the 4A game um, and what was the thing that Jaffe called it? Um, oh, Sony is firmly in the Neil Druckmann is now firmly in the Neil Druckmann business, which means mm-hmm. quadruple A games. This new thing that they're saying now, these very polished single player experiences um, that take maybe not necessarily all that long to develop because Sony just throws mass amounts of resources at it. So Sony is offboarding a lot of the work for these quad A games to these kind of studios for hire, like Blue Point, Sony Bend, um, these mm-hmm. other studios that used to maybe work on their own IP. Now Sony's starting to utilize those studios to pitch in on these quad A games, which Ubisoft has been doing for years, bringing a bunch of studios in. We're starting to hear that more from more publishers now, and apparently that's what Sony is doing. Um, but you saw like Shu, Shuhei who has been a figurehead at PlayStation for years and years, kind of the conduit for the gamer between consumers and Sony corporate. He kind of loses his job. Um, Sony Japan Studio gets dissolved. Um, And look, again, Sony Japan Studio didn't make a lot of games that were big sellers. Like, they made a lot of games that had cool concepts or maybe showed off the hardware like Knack. 
is comes to mind is one of those games that like wasn't all that great, but it did kind of show off what the PS4 was capable of doing. They would do a lot of those pet projects. They helped finish off like the Last Guardian, um, things Gravity like Rush. Yeah, stuff like that. Like they worked on, but they weren't probably pulling their weight financially. But I think with goodwill with the player, they were probably worth whatever amount of money Sony was spending on yeah. them. And it helped create a more diverse portfolio for Sony. Like, you know, it, it wasn't just the AAA, you know, cinematic third person behind the shoulder, you know, narrative game. It was, uh, you had, uh, you had weird stuff here and there. You had more traditional stuff here and there. You know, it kind of rounded the, rounded out the library. Um, but, uh, and it you know, holes you, whenever, I mean, when you're taking four or five years to make mm-hmm. each big game, it fills in those holes. Yeah, I mean, for people like us, I guess. But, like, you look at the sales numbers, clearly a lot of people didn't mind that they had nothing to buy during those in-between periods. They were just waiting for the next thing. Or they could buy the, big third-party games. Yeah. Yes, you know, and I saw some some discussion this week about, like, well, if they, these are the big, you know, these quadruple A games are, like, the thing that drives everything and it's the, the, the greatest, like, sales thing in the world. How come everybody doesn't make them? And, uh, of course, the answer to that is because they're hard. And like, Sony's like, good like, at it. Their Sony they're, Studios so, well, are really Sony's good, good at, at it. Specifically, Naughty Dog and Insomniac are good at it. Like, like that is – and Sucker Punch turned out to be good at it with Ghost of Tsushima. Like, yep. um, it is not – that's not a slam dunk. Like, even Ubisoft has struggled to kind of bring Assassin's Creed into that mold. Um, and then, you know, the company that made the game that, you know, if you, if you go to almost any AAA kind of open world RPG slash adventure action game development right now and ask them like, what's what, what's your primary template? Almost all of them are going to say the Witcher three and the people who made the Witcher three just ran into a wall, just crap the bed, trying to do it again. Like it's, you know, it's like, it's not easy. Uh, if everyone can do it, Sony wouldn't be doing as well as they, they are because Sony does it better than anybody. Do you think even though the perception that there are these other exclusives, even if people aren't planning on buying them or they look weird to them or whatever, or they look very Japanese or whatever excuse they give for not buying them, do you think just the perception that they're there helps move hardware for PlayStation? Not in any appreciable manner. No. I mean, they're not really there right now, and it's not like you can go find a PS5 anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you can't find an Xbox either, though. Yeah. Well, Xbox says even less, so maybe <laughs> maybe nothing matters. Maybe it doesn't even. Is it really about the hardware that much? Do you think? Because it's been I don't a pretty know. dry. Like, it's hard to judge any. I think it's hard to judge anything by the situation we've been in the last year. Like the the, the new consoles, for all the horrible shit that's happened over the last year, the new consoles I think benefited tremendously from the situation of the pandemic created. How do you feel about that statement? The they're in the Neil Druckmann business. Not tops. <laughs> I mean, I look, I like the kind of the standard issue cinematic AAA game for the most part. I out, other than Last of Us 2, I have not been a huge fan of Neil Druckmann's output um, uh, narratively or gameplay wise. Um, it's well known on this channel that I hated Uncharted 4. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in what he's going to do. Um, cause he is a force and a personality in the industry and, and clearly, um, he's focusing on be- the TV show now. Like, yeah, I mean, clearly he believes in what he's doing and he, and he, you know, he's, you know, I don't like uncharted four because of the decisions it makes. I'm, I don't, it's not like I dislike uncharted four cause I think it's a bad, bad right. game. Yeah. I just don't like 
it's creative choices, which is a different thing from saying it's bad. Um, but at least I can respect that Neil Druckmann believes in what he, the stories he's telling. Um, and that's better than the alternative that just someone churning out heartless, you know, product kind of thing, which I don't think he does. So, and I think insomniac has never made anything with the possible exception of fuse, uh, that didn't have its heart and soul in it. Yeah. Um, and like, as long as Sony keeps putting stuff out like that through companies like that, I'm pretty happy with it. Matt, do you think the quad a is the way to go though? Or do you think maybe if you're going to strive for that, you need to maybe dial back the scope of these games a little bit, and maybe they're not 50 hours, they're 20, 25 hours, and then you have time to polish up the game. Like, do you think maybe Days Gone just was, because it was huge, it took like 40, 50 hours to finish that game. Like, to me, Sony Ben probably could have created a pretty polished game that was 20 or 25 hours, but... Uh, like when you're trying to thing, polish up all the cinematics and all the later gameplay systems and balance everything that lasts for 40 hours, like there's a lot of extra work I that comes no, with that. I don't, I don't really agree with that because Days Gone is so full of filler that if you had gotten it to a level of polish at 20 hours, it could have still been the 50 hour game we got and the polish would have been about the same because there's nothing different in those added 30 hours. Yeah, but like, instead of working on cinematics for – you still have to create cinematics. You still have to create missions. I think, this, I think the number of cinematics would have been the same. Like oh, the really? story, this, it's. I mean, it's a 50-hour game, but it's a 15-hour story, let's yeah. be honest. Like it's, it's, if you put that whole thing all together, it's not that long. Um, it's just padded out with tons of open-world bloat. It still takes work to do that stuff, though. You still have to program the missions and polish them up oh, yeah. and make sure there aren't bugs. And But it's not its not on the level... I mean, Days Gone's problems stem from its base existence of gameplay being feeling kind of rough and weird and unfinished, and someone didn't research exactly how much fuel a motorcycle burns, apparently, because, <laughs> holy shit, that happens too fast. Um, it was, it's just an exercise in frustration most of the time for me. And, uh, if you made it 20 hours, I would just been frustrated a shorter amount of time. Like the polish is, could have been there, but like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like if you, if you, because part of my problem with it, with, with what was wrong with that game, I think is, is that it was, they just didn't find the game, you know? And, and it, that doesn't, you, you can polish what's there as much as you want, but I don't think they did the middle part very well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like the stuff that I have a problem with in Days Gone is not end of development cycle stuff. It's like your choices about where when you were done with this gameplay element are fundamentally flawed. It's like right now we're watching B-roll for The Last of Us Part Two, and we just saw like the snowball fight. Like, mm-hmm. That's kind of the stuff that sets Naughty Dog's games apart. They have mm-hmm. the time and the resources to create a random snowball fight before you go on a mission that other games, they don't have stuff like that. Um, do you think it's worth it though in the end? Now look, it sold very well and did very well for PlayStation, but it took a really long time to make the game. Um, do you think that stuff pays off ultimately? I mean, I think part of the reason that Sony wants these things is to be able to hold up their platform and say, we have this prestige content. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth it to them. You know, I don't know what kind of profit margin Last of Us 2 made. I assume it's decent. Um, you know, the, the this, making a game for that long is going to cost you in the hundreds of millions realm. Um, it made more than that. Uh, you know, in the long run, it's probably going to do just fine. 
Um, oh, yeah, it turned gonna, a huge profit for sure. Yeah, it's going to move plenty of move plenty up to PS4s. It'll probably move plenty of PS5 if and when they get that PS5 update out. Um, like, and they forever Sony gets to point to this thing and slap all the Game of the Year award things on the box, and you know this is what we make. We make great stuff. We make we make top of the line stuff. We you know we we. It's hard to place a monetary value on that, though, isn't it? It is. Like, what is that is. worth? You know. But apparently, it's easy to place monetary value on a game that doesn't do do that, which is Days Gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it's sort of. It's not even that. Like, you have to be a quadruple A super prestige franchise to survive in Sony Land. It's more like you got to do that. And like, I'm. I don't think anybody would say Ghost of Tsushima is on the on par with Last of Us Two in terms of like technical achievement. Uh, I do think it's the best looking game of last year, just in terms of art direction. Um, I mean, is is it technically better looking than than Last of Us Two in terms of like the realism of the character models? No. Is it more pleasing to my eye? Yes. Um, but like, is that on the same level? No. But it did sell on that level, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it seems like that's good enough. You know, and maybe maybe Sucker Punch gets a little more uh, more, more resources, a little more. A little more love in that regard. Maybe maybe Sony suddenly sees them as a, maybe we could have a third prestige house. And, you know, you know, Insomniac and Naughty Dog are kind of their top dogs. And Sony Santa Monica as well. Or maybe a th- may call it a fourth. Um, you get that, you get four, four of those engines running and you got a pretty solid constant stream of content. Well, yeah, uh, and Gorilla as well. And Gorilla, that's right. Horizon definitely puts them there. That's right. Yeah. And certainly if Horizon 2 uh, delivers... That's when, you know, you got five, five prestige houses running at the now, same time. Now, to be fair, Jeff Ross was very complimentary of Sony. He was not, and it wasn't just because he was under NDA. He was not throwing mm-hmm. Sony under the bus. He wasn't talking trash about Sony. In fact, he was very complimentary. He said that they don't butt in. They don't intrude on the development process. They don't contact them mm-hmm. and say, how is this going to appeal to a mainstream audience? They let the artists be artists, which... I think that's good. His, yeah, his point good. And was, I do think that Days Gone was a bit of a risk on their part because uh-huh. Sony Bend had never made anything like that before. Yeah. And he did say it sold better than every other game they had ever made combined. And if you don't remember, mm-hmm. they made the Siphon Filter games back in the PlayStation days. But he said mm-hmm. that the budget for those games were like a million or two million dollars. Yeah. And then they would well, then they also make, make the, like, they made like 300 they million. Like, uh, so they made a lot of handheld stuff, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, so they unfortunately were one of the studios that got shoved onto the Vita and the PSP. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that surprising that it sold yeah. better did than they all do, the uh, Did they do Secret Agent Clank? Yeah. Is that them? I don't know, actually. I don't know. Maybe someone mm-hmm. in chat can look that up real quick. Um, so the kind of the third, out on in light of that, kind of the third big topic that they touched on in that discussion with Jaffe was okay, if you're going to follow this quad A route, which is a lot of time, a lot of resources, you're pulling people from other studios to help you work on these games to finish them, which means they're not working on other stuff. When you're doing that, you're sacrificing developing other things that might be more profitable. So he brought up games like Roblox, um, Fortnite, games that have recurring revenue streams that can generate billions of dollars instead of hundreds of millions of dollars. And he said that he felt that because they're all kind of funneling all their development resources into these few projects, that they're not setting themselves up for the future. And the other thing that he mentioned was Sony, every game Sony makes is a huge bet. 
because it doesn't have the cash that Microsoft has and is competing with Microsoft. So it can't just throw money at problems and hope that the money fixes it. Everything has to make money at this point. And because they're basically pulling Sony corporate along, PlayStation is its most uh, profitable division at this point. Its TV business has really sunk. Um, a lot of the stuff that Sony used to rely on to generate revenue, they, it can't really rely on anymore. And so he said that, you know, they kind of have a blind spot at this point because they get, like you said, all the Game of the Year awards for these games, and they get lots of press, and the critics love their games. But ultimately, if you look at a company like Epic, Epic, with one game, has managed to almost generate more money than Sony Corporate has. So he feels like the Quad A strategy could leave them open to being in deep trouble because Microsoft has these really deep pockets, and it can do both. It can develop these really expensive Quad A games, but it can also have teams working on this more experimental stuff that could really hit. Um, and we've brought up before, you know, Dreams was kind of a product that Sony had that probably it should have pushed a little harder. And it should maybe still be pushing it harder because the game's still there, but people don't know about it. It seems, I don't know, Sony's way of doing things seems very 1990s, early aughts, I guess is what I'm getting at. It's, it's managed to become the ultimate publisher for, for like the early aughts and hasn't really kind of looked forward to what might be the next big thing. What do you think about that? Um, I think uh, a an old chestnut of military strategy wisdom applies here, which is let's stop worrying about what they're going to, they might do to us and start talking about what we're going to do to them. Uh, you can't sit there and worry about what Microsoft might make. You can't sit there and worry about what might be the next Fortnite. If you're going to bet your whole company that you are going to create the next esoteric breakout hit that no one can predict. And the last one came from Epic ripping off PUBG, Player Unknown. You know, who the hell? Player Unknown was a very accurate name for them when PUBG <laughs> started. Um, you can't place that's like that's like planning your whole retirement around around winning the lottery. Yeah. Like it has nothing to do with anything. Sony is placing their big bet on something only they can do. That's a smart move. And it has proven that it can do and replicate yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So until people no longer want really good, really polished, really slick, really well-told stories in games, um, Sony's fine. Like that's that's the long and the short of it is un Sony's fine until they aren't. But it's like God of War sold through the roof. Horizon sold through the roof. Tsushima sold through the roof. Uh, Last of Us 2 sold through two rubes. Um, you know, Ratchet and Clank's probably going to do it again. Horizon yeah. 2 is going to do it again. Like, until that stops working, it would be madness to change course. Um, and they're changing course a little bit here in terms of cutting out what they would see corporate-wise as probably dead wood. Um, and if the if the budgets really are as tight, if they need to cut the budgets on the other things down to keep funding their big bets in the quad A space... Uh, that's their lifeblood. So as much as we may not like it, as much as we will miss things like, say, Gravity Rush, whatever. And look, um, Sony Japan still has a publishing arm to it. Like, you know, they, they, we may have lost internal development, but Sony Japan can still go out and publish weird little things like Tokyo Jungle or whatever. Um, that's probably not going to go away. Um, and I don't have an answer as to why games that are as good as like Gravity Rush 2 uh 
just nobody cared. I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, some things just either catch or they don't, but I think, uh, the, I, the idea of sitting around trying to somehow outmaneuver the whims of the, of the, of the player base to, you know, to, to try to predict the next among us, that's crazy. Like you can't do it. And then kind of the final thing that they ended up talking about was how Sony doesn't respond to any of this stuff. All this, these stories break, um, Mm -hmm. all this news breaks and Sony doesn't say anything. Um, Jeff Ross, Jeff Ross brought up that, you know, they had Shu who now has been kind of pushed aside. Um, they had Sean Layton, who was kind mm-hmm. of the guy before that. He was oddly just kind of disappeared. And Sony has kind of become this faceless company. And that Nintendo has also kind of become this faceless company. After a lot of past, no one's really stepped into that void to become the new face of Nintendo. And so mm-hmm. they had a brief debate on what's better. Is it better to just sit back and not say anything? Because Jeff's contention was, you're only going to screw things up if you talk. They're like, sure, you may get lucky, and you may say exactly the right thing that satisfies everybody, but more times than not, you're probably going to say something that's going to at least piss off a part of your fan base. And so, and he, and then they went on and talked about Phil Spencer, and they're like, they seem like he seems like he's juggling things pretty well right now, but that could quickly change, which it has. I mean, he's had his ups and downs. Personally, with me, oh, yeah. I've had ups and downs with him. Um, what do you think is the better strategy, Matt, to be faceless and not react to all this stuff that kind of comes out in the public or to address the issues and talk to the fans? I mean, I think ideally you would have someone that can address it. I think Nintendo was probably at their strongest when they had uh, um, uh, Sakurai and, and Reggie kind of tag teaming in, in the in the PR you know face department. Um, but if you don't have a, a Reggie, which Sony doesn't really. Yeah. Um, it's probably wiser to stay quiet. And also, like, you know, the most face company in, uh, you know, f- you know, human face on it company in gaming in, in the 21st century has probably been Nintendo because um, they just happen to end up with an executive wing of strong personalities and people that could be entertaining in front of a crowd, which you don't necessarily get with yeah. you know Most business executives general, yeah it's honest. not a thing yeah um and uh you know like sony has struggled with that in general like sony has struggled with having a personality on stage uh, a fair amount you know it's, it's you know you, you went to see you know reggie and and uh, you know kick ass and take names and you went to the sony pressure and you had to watch jack tretton you know it's, just not, it's a very different energy and um sony's always been very corporate anyway you know it's, it's always you know, it, like going to Nintendo's pressers was like going to a, a, a friend's house and going to Microsoft's was like going to a, a rave and going to Sony's was like going to a shareholder meeting. Yeah. Like that was just how it always was. Yeah. And there's a button down quality to how Sony interacts with the world and it always has been. And I don't think you're going to shake that corporate culture no matter how much you want. So it's probably seeing like, look, staying quiet hasn't hurt them. The PS5 sells faster than they can make it. Yep. Um these games sell like crazy, you know, even, you know, even when you think something might be controversial or turn people off, like some of the content, ma- content of last of us Two, uh, even when you know, word of mouth is flying around enthusiast sites about like, Oh my God, the spoilers are horrifying. Doesn't matter. They laughed all the way to the bank. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, and, and most people liked it. Like, it, it. You know, it was all for nothing. Um, it was, uh, you know, why rock the boat? 
on that. Why address any of it until you have to, really? A lot of fans like, were you could, were pissed off though reading this story. I mean, you could see it again oh, sure. in the chat yeah, but, on in during Jaffe's discussion. Oh, sure, absolutely. But are, are they going to not by God a war Ragnarok because of it? Right. No. <laughs> who gives a shit what they think at that point? Like that. Like if I'm Sony, who cares? That's the like, last thing fans want to hear. Who gives a shit about what course. I think? <laughs> but but that's the that's the fact of the matter, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Doesn't matter because until you decide you are going to. You know, put your money where your mouth is, and not buy Horizon uh, Forbidden West, and not buy God of War Ragnarok as a, in protest or in because you don't want to have anything to do with this company that has disrespected what you prefer. Uh, there's not nothing's going to change. It's like we've been saying on Game Face for five years. You speak with your money. Going yeah. in a chat and flaring off, not going to do anything. Going on Twitter and flaring off, not going to do anything. Yeah, you might get you a four-hour cut of a really boring movie, but uh, <laughs> it's not it's not going to make Sony change his mind about anything. I promise. Touche. Uh, so anyway, that's the state of the state of Sony. Uh, I don't know, Matt. It it feels like they're flying off the rails a little bit. I f for the first time in a long time, I feel like Sony might be a little vulnerable because I think that's true. I mean, I don't look. I don't think. Um, the, here's the other thing: is like I don't know if they're vulnerable because of anything they're doing that that Schreier reported on. I think the vulnerability comes from the fact that Microsoft might actually get its act together in the next few years. And, and Nintendo Sony really has its act together. Like it has, Sony right. right now has the stiffest competition I think it's ever had. Would yeah, you agree and with Sony that? has not faced direct competition from Microsoft for years. So who knows what's going to happen when they come head to head? You know, Nintendo is competition, obviously, but they're not exactly competition because they're you know different power levels. They're not making the same kind of games like they're you know if you if you bought Mario Odyssey, are you going to like pass up? Well, God I would of argue War? that Nintendo's focus is more on single player games. Yeah, but they're very different experiences. Like well, I mean, if I'm, they're uh, they're a more general audience. They're not producing M rated games. Right, but what I'm saying is like nothing that Nintendo makes really com competes with what Sony makes. Like if I have a, if I have Nintendo's latest release, if I have breath of the wild or, you know, Mario Odyssey, am I going to feel like owning those games makes God of war or horizon redundant? No, I don't think it's, don't think it's like, redundant, but I think maybe there might be some people, let's say God of war and breath of the wild two comes out at the end of the year. I think there might be some people who don't have a big budget who might have to choose between those two games. Is that uh, I don't know. I, 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 well, first off, neither of those are going to come out at the end of right. the year. Right. I'm just providing um, an example. I don't think those games are going to come out too close to each other either. I, I think I'm just I think saying, they, you're they saying they don't compete, out. but I believe that certain games do, at least on a certain level. I don't believe that. I don't believe that there are people who are not buying one of those over because of the other. Like, And if they do have a budget issue, they'll get the other one the next month. Like they'll get to it. Eventually like, they'll buy it. I am not going to not play one of those games because I have the other one. Like that just doesn't make sense. Um, and the sales numbers, I think back that up because otherwise if, you, if you're going to say that everybody buys this one game is different from the people who buy the other one, they got millions more people playing these things than we thought. But there could be um, people that bought an Xbox series console mm -hmm. and this Christmas they're like, maybe I'll finally buy a switch or I'll be a, buy a PS five. Those two games could maybe be what helps them determine whether they Yeah, well, buy first one. you have to have, be able to buy a PS5. <laughs> um, like, I don't, you know, if you're more, if you bought an Xbox, I'm going to guess you're more into, uh, you know, the big budget stuff. Um, or maybe, Game Pass. Maybe you, didn't, maybe you didn't realize, yeah, or Game Pass. Maybe you didn't realize that uh, 
the big budget stuff for Xbox isn't really coming for another couple of years. Yep. But what I mean is like, I think, I think Microsoft's trying to make this stuff that is more directly comparable to what Sony oh, does. Sure. And yeah. if they actually get their act together and start putting out stuff that, you know, can stand toe to toe with that, at least from a, you know, advertising on an NFL game perspective, um, Sony hasn't faced competition of that nature in a very long time. I don't think so it's, it would be both interesting Nintendo to see what and happens Microsoft when they have been this happens. strong at the same time ever. Mm-hmm. ever. I mean, we're going to have to see if Microsoft really is as strong as we perceive it to be right now because it feels like they're making all the right moves, but the proof is, of course, in the pudding. Where is Halo Infinite going to turn out to be any good? Is Hellblade 2 going to turn out to be any good? Like all, all these things that are How in the pipeline have to actually deliver. And all that. Like that Fable game better be fucking pristine, people. Like I'm going to be very irritated if Fable is not good. I'm not waiting too that long game. I'll for be that. Perfectly honest with you, because I mean, the- I, I, I'm you know, Fable. I like the Fable games, but they are kind of this endless string of similar to Days Gone, an endless string of like. So that's. That's as far as you went with that, huh? Exactly. And the studio that's making it is not. I mean, look, they could pull a Guerrilla Games, and their first Mm -hmm. game in this genre is, like, mind-blowing. It's possible. Just the odds are not in their favor. They did that already with Forza Horizon. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, anyway, that's the latest on Sony. It's pretty crazy what's going on there. I love this all, by the way, Matt. I love that all three platforms are doing great. They're all viable. We've also been saying this for five years on Game Face. Competition is exactly what you want because it pushes everyone to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, when yeah, you- I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of these moves Sony, Sony's making right now are an attempt to shore up their, you know, their, their quad A, if that's what we're going to call it, their quad A development business um, because they have to see where what Microsoft's doing. Like, they definitely see the, the forces aligning. Um, and I would, I would count some of this as a direct response to them preparing for Microsoft to be an actual threat, whereas they, they really weren't all of last gen. Yeah. Also as a follow-up to something we discussed in episode 250, um, rumors are starting to swirl that Sony is working on a competitor to Game Pass. So Mm -hmm. we were talking last week about would they turn PlayStation Now into the competitor of Game Pass based upon the rumors that are going around right now. It sounds like they're thinking about launching something new or kind of wrapping what PlayStation Now is into this new product and kind of rebranding it and renaming it. So Yeah, it definitely needs a new name. Again, competition, good. You know, if it's going to push Sony to launch this new service where you can mm-hmm. get their library for 13 bucks a month or whatever, like, it's all good. This is exactly what we want, people. We want everybody doing well so everyone pushes each other. It's going to make better games, better services, cheaper prices, all of it. It's all good Certainly for Sony has been pushed into much cheaper sale prices because of how uh, yep. Microsoft prices their stuff. Well, remember, Microsoft PlayStation overall... Now at first was 20-some dollars a month, and then they cut it mm-hmm. down to like nine ninety nine a month or whatever once Game Pass launched. So mm-hmm. there, perfect example. And Microsoft also, like, you know, they generally do seem to have better prices, but a lot of times you'll see them match up uh, the prices uh, the following week on the PlayStation Store. Yep. So it's... Uh, if you didn't have Xbox there, uh, I think it would be a much more uncomfortable situation because of how Sony would be would kind of be able to run riot however they prefer. Yep, it's absolutely true. So there you go. Latest updates on Sony. Big updates. Another huge story from Schreier just keeps knocking him down. And, you know, one thing I'm going to do when I talk to him about Three Night Weekend is thank him. Because do you realize how many shows he's saved? Mm-hmm. Not just for us, for the whole industry. How many podcasts he has given content to because nothing happened that week and he broke some big story. I mean, we just ended up talking about it for an hour. 
little less than an hour, a story that he broke. So thank you, Schreier. <laughs> and I'll be sure to thank him in person uh, when I talk to him for three-night weekend. Uh, up next, another big surprise this week that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you guys are probably aware of the 90, it's now a series, Matt, the 99 mm-hmm. series on Switch. Um, it all started with Tetris 99, and then there was a Super Mario Brothers 99, and essentially these are games where they take a, a common or popular property, and it's this online environment where you're competing against 99 other players, um, and you're, you're supposed to be the last man standing. It's kind of like a battle royale format. But mm-hmm. it's stretched across like a number of genres now. Tetris obviously is a puzzle game. Super Mario Brothers is a platformer. And now this week we get Pac-Man 99. And Matt, I have tried all of the 99s. In fact, not just tried. I've played, like legitimately played all of the 99 games. And I will just say that I believe that Pac-Man 99 is the best of all of them. And mm-hmm. my contention for that is because to me... It seems like the game that is most based on skill, your actual skill playing the game. And if I were to create a hierarchy for that, I would put Pac-Man 99 first, then Super Mario Bros. 99, and then Tetris 99 at the end. I still play Tetris 99 every once in a while. I don't know why. It it is the most (laughs) random thing ever. It's like... You can just be killing it and just completely like down to the bottom and you're rolling off all these tetri and then somebody just dumps like 20 rows of blocks into your board and there's just nothing you can do. Like mm-hmm. it's very frustrating. And for, I just keep playing it because I like Tetris, period. Like I wish there was just in that game an, the ability to play Tetris by myself. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously there's other Tetris. I mean, I don't like Tetris all that much. Uh, so Tetris uh, Tetris 99 didn't do a whole lot for me. I like Mario 99 way more. Okay. Um, but, like, uh, I did want to get to Pac-Man this week. I just didn't because the Pac-Man concept is way more appealing to me than either of the other two. Um, yeah, and I think what they've done with Pac-Man in recent years in terms of, kind of mixing that game up uh, has been, you know, like the Pac-Man Champion Edition it's stuff great. I think is genius. It really like is. It's some of the best, like, kind of retro-style gaming stuff I've played in forever. Um, like, anytime you get me to, you know, and Pac-Man 99 obviously does it too, but anytime you get me to eat a whole ton of ghosts all at once, I'm in. Yep. Like, that's just the most satisfying, one of the most satisfying things in video games. Yep, so a quick, and it's very satisfying in this game. Um, so how it works, and you're, the B-roll you're seeing right now is me literally playing the game for the first time. I probably should have went and re-recorded more. Now, after I had played it for a while. And one other thing I would say is, and you can see me doing it right here, <laughs> switch the controls to the joystick instead of using the D-pad. I used the Pro Controller my first game. I literally couldn't play it where the crap with the D-pad on the Pro <clears throat> Controller. Once I switched to an analog stick, it was like night and day. So that's one of my pro tips for it. But basically how it works is it's just a normal game of Pac-Man for the most part. And... The other thing I would say is the map doesn't really change. Like, the board pattern doesn't really change. It's not like a normal game of Pac-Man where you clear the whole board, and then you get the the cherry board, and then you get the peach board, and then you get the pretzel board. You play the same board over and over, but the way that they work with the ghosts and with other characters, you don't really notice it. So the objective is not to clear the board. The objective is to be the last person standing out of 99 other people playing this Pac-Man. So eating the dots is basically a way for you to get a new fruit. And when a fruit appears, that will reset the board and and create more dots on the board. Um, Now, you can see on the right there, if you're looking at the B-roll, there's that, like, vertical scroll of ghosts. 
If you eat those, they will attach themselves to one of the other ghosts. And then obviously you eat one of the power pellets and you can eat the ghosts and you can create these crazy chains of ghosts that literally it feels so satisfying because if you get after you get good at it, you can start getting to the point where you have a chain of like, I don't know, like 40 or 50 ghosts that you can eat all at once. And just like the other 99 games, you have the ability to use power-ups, and you also have the ability to affect other people's play. So you can send, um, and it took me a while to figure out what these are. That's one thing I don't like about the 99 games, Matt, is they don't really explain like how they work or like what the strategy is behind the games. You kind of figure it out on your own, or eventually you go just Google it, and somebody else has figured it out, and they tell you. But in like all the other 99 games, you can kind of set how you attack other players. You can choose to attack like the leader. You can choose to attack people who are about to get knocked out and are in danger. Um, and then you can also, on the left side of the screen, using like the face buttons, you can use your power-ups. But there are caveats with those. So you can increase like Pac-Man speed, but like, and I don't remember this 100%. I can't remember what all the power-ups do. But like, for instance, maybe now when you eat the power pellet, the ghosts don't stay blue as long. You have less time to eat the ghosts before they turn back to their normal form. Um, essentially, so you're seeing in the B-roll again, there's these other Pac-Man going around the board that are kind of hollowed out. Those are what other players send to you. And they don't kill you at first. Those ones don't. They just slow you down. So if you're trying to get away from a ghost and you run into one of those Pac-Men, it helps them catch up to you to try to kill you. Um, but later on, if you keep going and you get inside like the top 20, some of those ghosts or some of those Pac-Men are actually red. And they just stay on the board. And if you run into them, you die. Hmm. So there's this. Yin and yang in the game of, do you want to pick on the guy who's about to go out? Do you want to pick on the guy who's, who's really good at the game, hoping that everyone gangs up on him and he actually gets bounced out? It's, it's that kind of tug of war that you play with the game that has become very, very compelling. And then on top of it all, just how incredibly satisfying it is to stack a ton of ghosts on one of the ghosts, eat the power pellet, and gobble up like 40 or 50 of them. It's just... I can't really put it into words. I don't know, Matt, if like it's because I grew up in the arcades, and so I have a kind of this intrinsic thing where I feel like I need, or I just feel like this this great reward from eating so many ghosts. Because if you played Pac Man, if you got four in a row, you're like woohoo! Now you can mm-hmm. eat like forty in a row. Um, it's um, I think it's the uh, similar to how um, a lot of satisfying melee combat works is the fact that there's a split second pause. Yes. After you buy, after you eat each one. Yes. It it feels like you're it feels like you're fighting your way up a chain of them, and uh, that's what I think that's what makes it feel so satisfying. Even when you have like forty of them, it, does, it still mm-hmm. does the pause, and then it's like spraying like the them out to all the other boards. It's just it's very rewarding. It's also I would say this too: if you've played any Pac-Man in your life, this is the least difficult one to win. I've got, like, three wins in this game already, finishing first. Um, I think I got one win ever in Tetris 99. I have zero wins in Super Mario Brothers 99. Um, so it's, I think also it's more accessible. But, again, I also do think it's more based on skill. And another thing about Pac-Man, like, back in the arcade days, was eventually you can memorize the pattern for every board and just wipe every board. Now, I will say this. The ghosts do follow the same pattern every time. But it doesn't matter because eventually someone's going to throw some junk onto your board that just throws everything into chaos. So you can start out the same way like every time and you kind of know where the ghosts are going to go for the first like 30 seconds or whatever. But eventually the randomization of people sending stuff to your board just throws everything into upheaval and uh, it mixes everything up and it makes every game feel completely different. And that's another advantage I think this has even over 
the traditional form of Pac-Man that we've all come to know and love through the years. So I'm having a ton of fun with this. It is free for people who have a Nintendo Online subscription. Um, there is DLC that you can pay for, which is a little slimy. Like like I said, I always wanted like just a single player of Tetris from Tetris 99. I don't know if they ever ended up releasing it as DLC where you had to pay for it, but... I was like, bro, why isn't there just a free normal Tetris in this game? <laughs> it's not its not that hard. The game's been out for like 40 years or whatever. Um, so a lot of times they do hide stuff that you really want to check out behind the paywall in these 99 games. But if you just want to play the base game, <clears throat> the Battle Royale mode where you try to be the last, per- the last pack standing, it is completely free if you have Nintendo Online. And as you guys know, Nintendo Online is pretty cheap anyway at like 20 bucks a month or 20 bucks a year. So um, I love it. And I've, this has kind of turned into my new, like, go-to game when I have a couple minutes to spare and uh, nothing to do. Or I'm waiting for my wife to get ready to go pick up food for takeout or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll just play a couple rounds of this. It's very fast. The matchmaking is really quick. Have you seen in this B-roll? There's no cuts in this B-roll at all. Um, this is all literally everything you're seeing as far as how long it takes between each match is exactly how long it takes. So it's very, very fast. Uh, there you can see me ranking up. When you rank up, you get, like, dumb stuff like an icon, basically. You get, like, new player icons. Again, <laughs> just like the other 99 games. But, again, this is my favorite 99 game so far. I highly recommend going and downloading it. And then, as Matt said, right off the top of this discussion, it's something that's going to be gone eventually. It will not last forever, which I think is really stupid. Like, I don't know what's up with Nintendo doing this with its games lately, like, Super Mario 3D All-Stars? Why? Like, why would you? And I'm glad. I mean, because... like, the other 99s have stuck around, but, like, I I feel like this one might be limited because uh, Nintendo doesn't own Pac-Man. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, it does not own this IP, so. But, I mean, if Namco, Bandai, Bandai Namco, sorry, starts um, generating a lot of money from the DLC on this, why would it want it to go away? Like, I just don't understand the idea behind it at all, why there's this limited thing. Now, I'm... I'm not crying that much over Super Mario 3D All-Stars because I bought a copy of it and never opened it. And I think they Mm -hmm. said they ended up selling like five or six million of them or something. So you figure 20 years from now, they're probably going to be worth a lot of money. In fact, I watch a YouTube video of somebody who went on YouTube. There are people asking like $25,000. And like obviously they know they're not going to get it. But there are people legitimately asking for $25,000 for Super Mario 3D All-Stars right now on eBay. (laughs) It's crazy. But it's not that far-fetched to think in 10, 20 years it'll be worth 1000 maybe. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Like, I've, I've been priced. I, I have a box full of Yu-Gi-Oh uh, cards and boxes of expansions I never opened um, in my garage in a box. And I started, like, pricing them out to try to figure out, like, oh, what, what are they, you know, I'd like to get these out of here. Like, it's time to kind of clean out the garage uh, a little bit, spring cleaning. Pricing some of this stuff out. Some of that stuff is worth thousands of dollars now. It's shocking. Um, the the card collectible card game market in general has skyrocketed. Like Pokemon cards are worth obscene amounts of money now. Yeah, that um, E3 Pikachu card that I have. Yeah. Like I I'm actually just learning Matt, by the way, how to like do all this stuff. Like mm-hmm. the grading and everything. Oh, yeah. Sending it in to get it graded and how to package. There's it a all graded up. like with a graded first edition of like uh, Dark Magician from the first uh, Yu-Gi-Oh run. That, a couple of those just sold on eBay for twelve thousand dollars each, like graded in in you know mint condition, ten condition. 
I have four of those. Wow. <laughs> like I should probably send a couple of those into that grading service and see what I get. It's so, but the um, thing is, Matt, it's so backed up right now because yeah. everybody has gone crazy. Like the card. Well, it's like it, so. Here's the thing. I I got into a, a card game recently called Marvel Champions, which is. Uh, um, it's it's not a collectible card. It's not like where you buy packs of random cards and hope you get what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what's called a living card game, which means you buy like sets of them, and it's a set. You know, you get the full set of all the cards, and you just play with what you get. There's no randomness to it, uh, but it plays like it plays like a kind of a magic game. Uh, and I wanted to put them in sleeves because uh, you know you put them in like clear sleeves to kind of like protect them because when you're shuffling them and messing with them, they can get they can get kind of frayed up and stuff. And it's just a way to make them last longer. And I was going around trying to find these, these, you know, these uh, card protectors, and you can't find them because the Pokemon stuff has exploded so much that, like, yeah. they literally can't make card protectors fast enough to keep up with demand <laughs> for the Pokemon community. It's, it's amazing. Insane. It really is crazy. I just have one card. I have that crazy E3 1999 Pikachu, Red Cheeks, whatever, like mm-hmm. the, the most rare variant that I got literally on the show floor at E3 1999. Some lady walked up to me, handed me a little Pokemon plushie, and handed me that card in a plastic wrapper. And if you get a 10 rating, that card is worth almost (laughs) $20,000. And I looked at my card, and I'm like, this might be a 10. It's perfectly centered. It doesn't have any of the problems on the edges, like... And then I started looking into it, and, like, you're right. Like, the, the services, the rating services are all backed up. You can't even get the sleeves to send the cards in. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Um, so, anyway, I'm going to look into that. But by the time I retire, who knows what that card will be worth? Like, I expect the value is going to go down here, like, once the pandemic's over and people aren't into it as much as they are right now because everyone's not sitting at home and collecting stuff. Uh, but eventually, it'll go down, and it'll start creeping back up again. It's never going to go down as far as it was, like, a year ago. Um, so I'm gonna hold on to that. Maybe that'll be a nice little nugget when I go to retire. Buy me a boat or something. I don't know, <laughs> or at least a new fishing pole or something. Who knows? Uh, but it has been yeah, interesting. Don't buy a boat. Boats are a waste of money. It had. It, I agree. I agree. But it has been interesting, kind of diving into that world for the first time and kind of figuring. I didn't know anything about it. Like I never really collected like baseball cards or anything like mm-hmm. where I would need to kind of understand how that all works. Um, I mean, a lot of that is very new, like the idea of like an official grading service for comics and cards didn't exist when I was, you know, working in that in those retail spaces. Um, Certainly, I have sleeved uh, thousands and thousands of baseball cards from working at the the card arcade, the porn rental shop I was at in (laughs) high school. Um, It's like a combination Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. (laughs) So when I first got that job, uh, my first task was I was 15, I think. I oh. my first task was uh, the owner gave me all his baseball cards that he'd collected his entire life, like going back into like like tops like 1968 or something. Oh. And my job it was so it was like it was like 15, 16 years of baseball cards and he had all of like wow, everything. And my job was to go through all of them, separate them all out by year separate all those out each year by brand, like tops or Fleer uh-huh. or whatever, uh, separate all of them out by team, separate all of the, all the teams out by player and organize them all by player individually per by. So every, every team had like a box with like individual slots for all the players for each year. Oh, and I basically Lord. had to, I had to, I spent the first three oh, months thanks. of that job basically arranging, I would say, 
200,000 baseball oh, cards. That's the worst. Like it was, dude. it was a lot. No like I, I, I had like my finger, my fingers were like cut. Like, like I, and, they yeah. were all like, I, like a little, little they weren't that's like a bleeding. lot of really crappy bubble gum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they weren't like bleeding, but they were like just sort of, you know, Chapped. shedding, shedding skin from touching cardboard. Yeah, the all cards the time. are taking all the moisture out of your hands. It's, yeah. Pretty it's much crazy. Like, and I'm, sure, I'm like, surprised uh, they didn't just have you pull like the ones that were really valuable. Like just look for all the rookie cards. Well, that's what he wanted me to find. Like he uh, literally had them in like in like long like those like kind of long boxes that are card card size. But like he had no organization, no nothing. They'd been, they'd been sitting in a storage locker for like ten years, and he was just like he's like I did, I was a kid and I didn't organize anything, so now you got to do it. I'm yeah. gonna pay for it. So shut up. And that I was only the collected end of, like, cards one year, and I've told the story before. But I had the complete 1987 top set. And mm-hmm. I traded them for a pair of skateboard rails <laughs> <laughs> that are like five bucks. Like I was living in West Virginia. There was no skate shops. So we'd have to order stuff from like magazines. Like there would be skate shops in the magazines. We'd call them on the phone. They'd send us stuff COD. Do you remember that, Matt? Yeah. So you wouldn't pay that. for it. They would send it to you through the mail. The mailman, and I know kids who are younger yeah. to think this is insane, the mailman would come to your door and take the money from you. And if you mm-hmm. didn't have the money, they'd send them back. So it was such a pain in the butt to do it. And I was like, oh, I don't care about these cards. And I gave someone a whole set of cards for a set of rails. And I saw that guy when my father passed away and I went home for his funeral. I saw that guy and he still talks about it. He's like, yeah. you gave me that 87 complete top set for a skateboard rails he's like you know how many some of the how much some of those cards are worth now and i'm like don't even tell me dude i'm like i've told that story on our podcast before and it still makes me sick so anyway yeah we had a there was a kid in my class uh who uh if you remember back in the day they had uh i don't remember which brand it was but it was one of the, one of the, the brand types of cards in the sets was rated rookie it was like if they had an up and comer for that year you got a rated they got a rated rookie card it was like kind of one to watch sort of mm-hmm. thing and uh, one of the ra- there was a rated rookie Jose Canseco card wow. uh, that was like yeah, after a couple of years when he got huge on the A's he was like the literally rookie got cards huge on the A's got huge. <laughs> yeah like, but the ra- his rated From rookie cards jumped like it was like uh-huh. eighty bucks and it was a hundred bucks and it was one hundred fifty bucks it was like at one point it was going for like two hundred dollars and then like eighty nineteen eighty six eighty seven money that's like you know, that's got to be about 600 now. Probably. Like, that was, like yeah. it was a lot of money back then, for, especially for a kid. If yep. you, could turn, turn in, you could sell that to a to a card shop. They'd give you like 80 bucks for it, which was like a ridiculous amount of money for a card you got in a bubblegum wrapper. Yep. But like my friend had it and he was like preparing, you know, just like he's hanging on to it. He's like, I'm going to sell it right when it gets, you know, because he's going to do even better. And like right near the end of the season, if they get in the World Series, I'm going to sell it then and be able to and his younger brother uh, went into his room and and took it without knowing what it was. Like it wasn't malicious. He took it and used it in his his uh, bicycle spokes. I was gonna say to he put the, it in his bike spokes to make the motorcycle yep. noise. <laughs> yep. So anyway, those are my only forays into card collecting. I have yeah. one Pokemon card, and I lost my ass on a full a complete set of Topps nineteen eighty seven baseball cards. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on. We're going to talk about Nintendo next. Uh, it's been pretty quiet. But in Pac-Man N- 99 is a much better value it than is, doing that. It is. It's free. It's free, absolutely. Uh, that transitions nicely into our next topic, which is Nintendo. Uh, we just spent an hour talking about PlayStation. It's only fair we talk about Nintendo a little bit. Nintendo has been very quiet lately, Matt. Um, mm-hmm. Not a lot of releases happening of late. Even when they do directs, they're oddly quiet. Yeah, they're still it's... quiet. Not a lot of big news in those. Um 
They're, they did announce a new color for the Nintendo Switch Lite today. They're calling it, oh, which great. is hilarious, they're calling it blue, Matt. I'll give you one guess what color it really is. Green? No. Think about it for a second. They're calling it blue, but what color is it really? Purple? Yes. <laughs> mm. Just like the GameCube. Remember they called the GameCube blue. They didn't call it purple or what? Or they called it indigo, I think. India, I called it indigo. Yeah, they didn't call it purple. But anyway, this is basically a purple Nintendo Switch Lite, and they're calling it blue for whatever unknown reason. I don't know why. Um, but really, the big news this week is that <laughs> Furukawa, the new president of Nintendo, um, did an interview with the publication this week, and they were asking him about, okay, what's the Nintendo strategy going forward? And the first thing he said was, new IP. Um, now, he did say, look, we're not going to stop supporting our big properties. Obviously, Zelda, Mario, all that stuff. We're not going to abandon it. But our big focus going forward is going to be new IP. Matt, do you think this is something that Nintendo has been falling behind on when compared to its, co- its competitors? I mean, in terms of new IP that catches on, yeah. I mean, they've made new stuff. But like outside of like Splatoon, I can't really think of anything in the last 10 years that's really stuck. So I did some research, and there is a lot actually. Um, they have but they make they make new stuff pretty commonly. I just it just they make it once and it never it doesn't catch fire and they never go back to it again. Well, one thing Nintendo has done is it uses its mascots as a Trojan horse to create sort mm. of new ideas and new concepts. So Kirby has kind of become the vehicle for that. Like there was the Kirby, Kirby is very malleable. That's yeah, true. there was <laughs> literally and figuratively. Yeah. There was the Kirby, like, Battle Royale game. There's, like, the Kirby, like, Smash Brothers clone that they released recently. But there's also have been some unique IP. Uh, there's Ring Fit Adventure. That's one new IP mm-hmm. that they've had that it's done very well. You want to talk about something that costs more to get than it should. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's still doing very well. Like, this week it was, like, number four in the UK in sales. It has oh, yeah. Legs. It's, every time they make a new round of that, like, it's it's gone in an instant. Like, that is, a, that is one of their... It's sort of like PS5. Like you, they that would be a much bigger sales number deal if they could make enough of them to meet demand more regularly. I did not stick with this game. Um, I'm kind of surprised. Neither did I, I. But like, it's everybody. It's the thing about Ring Fit is like everyone I know knows about it. Yeah. Like even people that I would think it's too obscure to. I'm like, no, everybody knows about Ring Fit. Yep. Even moms know about it. My mom knows about it Mm -hmm. somehow because they probably talked about it on like. Good Gotta day be on the today or something, or, yeah. something <laughs> or the Today Show or whatever. Those corny shows that my mom watches before she watches, like, Judge Judy. <laughs> my it's mom is a huge, like, judge whatever show watcher. Uh, so they have that. There's Ring Fit Adventure. Uh, there's Super Mario Maker. That's a new mm-hmm. IP, but that's another example of what I was talking about where they use, like, an existing IP to kind of try out a new idea or something like that. Um, and that's done very well. Um, I think maybe Super Mario Maker 2 didn't do quite as well as the first one. I know I spent a lot more time with the first one than I did with the second one. How about you? Yeah, I mean, part of it is, part of the problem this, the second one has is there's other things to do on the Switch. Yeah, um, whereas with one the first the, one, there really was Yeah, one of the ironic advantages of the first one was the Wii U had such a desert of a library that like there wasn't much else to do but play mario maker yeah <laughs> so yeah that i think actually helped it a fair amount uh mario maker 2 was pretty easy to move on from because there was other stuff to play yeah i also just kind of got my fill from the first one i didn't really there yeah. i know they added a good bit for <laughs> super mario maker like, 2 I- I've watched a lot more videos of people like demonstrating like ridiculous levels in Mario Maker 2 than I have actually played it myself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's Nintendo Labo, your favorite, Matt. 
Mm. <laughs> sure. Pactor's prophecy coming to fruition where he said Nintendo can sell his fans cardboard and they'll pay for it. And there it is. <laughs> and there it is. Um, I did not spend hardly any time with Labo. I really found no fun in this at all. It no, did I don't, feel like a um, very... Remember no, that? What I, was that robot game that Miyamoto showed off like a long time ago for GameCube yeah, or whatever? Yeah, I, I don't remember the name of it. I don't remember the name of it, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I feel like this was him being like, hey, we have this cardboard thing, and I never really released that robot game. Like, let's just mash the two up and finally get this stuff out It the definitely door. feels like there had to be some connection there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone in chat will remind us what it was called. Project Giant Robot. I guess I should oh, yeah. We should have remembered <laughs> that one, forget? Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> No robot alchemic drive, I'll tell you that. Yeah, much. and Labo, on the other hand, did not have legs. It has not continued to sell over no. the long haul. You could also include that Mario Kart AR thing. Yeah. Um, which I set up once and played with it yeah. for four days and then put it back That's in the box. That's right, you have that. Yeah, <laughs> I got it for Christmas. And while my wife was gone, I set it up. I took over, like, our apartment and set it all up. But it's like, I can't do that once she's home. Like, she's not going to tolerate, like, a racetrack set up in her apartment. That's just not going to happen. So that's all uh, boxed up and in the closet. Better now. to ask forgiveness than to, than to ask permission. Just <laughs> yeah, do it. That's a good point. Just, just have her come home to that one but day. See, Matt, but see, that's not the thing. She doesn't come home anymore. Like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back when she used to have to leave home to go to work, I could have done that. I could have spent a whole day setting it up, and then by the time she got back, like, so, I, so is she in the room that you would set it up in? Oh yeah, I mean, we live in an apartment. I kind of, I mean, I kind of want to see you just start wordlessly setting it up. <laughs> and say, like, what are you doing? Talking. And just she like, actually mm-hmm. might be cool with it because she may want to try it the first time. But yeah, she, want she would to, probably be. She wanted me to it. tear I mean, it down almost immediately after it was set up and we fiddled with it. But anyway. That's boxed up and in the closet. And then Nintendo also kind of followed this thing it's done with a couple different developers where it's it's worked with a third party to publish something new that they ended up owning, but the third party actually ended up like being the ones who created it. And like a good a- example of that is Astral Chain. Because it turns out Nintendo actually owns this IP, mm-hmm. um, which I was not aware of. I knew it, obviously, it was developed outside of Nintendo, but I wasn't aware that it actually, Nintendo owned that IP. The game did not sell especially well. I would be really shocked if there's a sequel, but it does own it. So that is another IP that Nintendo has yeah, developed. I imagine they also own uh, Demon X Machina or whatever that was. Yeah, which, another one that I don't think we'll ever see a sequel to that did not do well. Probably now, not. Astral Chain did well okay Critically, it just didn't sell well. And Damon Cross Machina didn't do in, well in either arena. Critics panned it, and it did not sell. So, yeah. But other than that, Matt, that's about it. Like, Nintendo really hasn't developed a whole lot of new mm-hmm. IP. Um, but then you start looking at a Microsoft or a Sony. Can you think of too many new IP that, that those two have really released in the last five to ten years? Uh, days Gone. Which uh, we just talked about that <laughs> for an hour. That turned out uh, Horizon. Yeah, um, that was a su- successful new IP. Um, Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, actually, you're right. Sony's actually has a pretty good track record. You can even go back to The Last of Us. It's only eight years yeah, old last, at this. Yeah, point. Yeah, Last of Us is 2013. That's not super long ago. Yeah. Um, Microsoft probably g- more guilty than most of. Yeah, I mean Spider Man, sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, Sony's it's, it's not good like Spider Man's not a proven property, but it's, yeah. you know. Doesn't guarantee you act ask Activision about how guaranteed to sell that is. Yeah. Uh Shattered Dimensions didn't sell like Insomniac's game, I'll That's tell you true. that much. Well, it wasn't as good as Insomniac's game. Nope. So, what but what is? So Nintendo's pretty guilty of not 
really working on or sort of form formulating or f- that's not <clears> a word formulating <laughs> formulating <laughs> formulating um, new IP. But now it says it's going to change that and it's going to start working on new stuff. What do you think Nintendo should focus on, Matt? I think Nintendo should focus on getting their own stuff out more often and not worry too much about new shit. Like, if you were giving me a steady stream of Zelda, Mario, and Metroid, I would maybe not be as skeptical about this, but it's the 35th anniversary of Metroid, and I don't see jack shit. And I don't care about a new IP from you when you've got all this other stuff that everybody likes and I re- I, I like, and you just sort of ignore it all the time. And instead, we're getting a remake of Twilight Princess. Right. Um, which is fine. Like, I you know, I don't... I don't dis or Skyward Sorry, Sword. Skyward Sword, I, not Twilight Princess. That's not fine. I was gonna yeah. say. I was gonna say because like, <laughs> you started saying fine, and I was like, wait a minute, no, that's not fine. And then I no, realized I had said Twilight the wrong Princess game. is fine. Um, Wind Waker would be fine. Like just bring bring the the, the Wii U HD versions forward to the Switch. I would gladly buy those again. Um, I never want to play Skyward Sword again if I don't have to. Like I don't know. I don't, I don't know what scenario where I'd have to play Skyward Sword again. <laughs> it's like. So that's a very weird hostage situation, but like it's (laughs) just people breaking into your house, making you play mediocre Nintendo games. It's a, that's a, there's a, there's a show premise for you. Um, Now when when they say new IP, do you think they're talking about like what we're seeing now, which is like some spinoff of Kirby or do you think it's legitimately like a new franchise? I would imagine they mean something like Splatoon or Pikmin, something that's completely new. That we haven't seen. I mean, like Pikmin. Like Pikmin's my second example. I'm going back to like what 2001. For that. <laughs> exactly. And we're still waiting for the new Pikmin. Is I would remind everyone. Yeah. Where is yeah, that? Pikmin Four still MIA. Yeah. Uh, me Animal Crossing. I still think of as a fairly new IP. That's 20 years old this year. Yeah. Um. I mean, they've really dropped the ball. Yeah. On creating I mean, new content. Splatoon new- is their biggest hit. I would say. I mean, it's not it like a marginal hit. Anything. Arms that was new. Uh, oh yeah, cared. there you go. We forgot about arms. Yep. Yeah, but who didn't? <laughs> um, man, no arms has its fans, but give me a break. Yeah. Um, you know they they occasionally resurrect ancient stuff that's old enough. Yeah, like like the Wii version of Punch Out almost felt like a new IP because it's been so long since they'd made a Punch Out. Like that happens. If, I mean, yeah, was it did, was Steam World dig? That was a, the what was it the not Steam World the oh Captain the one Toad with, That's like the steampunk one. thing the steampunk thing with Abraham Lincoln in it. What was that? Is it the 3DS game? Oh yeah, uh-huh. Steam World Chronicles now. or something like that. Like, yeah, something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That was a bizarre game. Yeah, I mean you can't say they don't take risks. Um, <laughs> Kid, you know Kid Icarus. Uh, on on the 3d i was on 3ds yeah yeah like that i mean that was almost a new ip who the hell remembered kid icarus if you didn't play smash brothers um like it's not like they don't take risks it's just like i wish that they would just make chibi robo chibi robo yeah <laughs> i have that i have that over yeah, there I, do too. I wonder if that's worth money now it is worth a lot oh, of money yeah yeah the um, gamecube value of gamecube games has really gone up during the pandemic too for some reason, the uh, like I, I yeah, it's it's. I don't think they have a lack of like new ideas or innovation for stuff most of the time. My complaint isn't with. It's like I wish you would just make normal sequels to things more of. It's always been like it was like I just want another fucking two D Metroid. Like I just want another Metroid game. Yeah. Like I just want a normal Zelda game. Like stop reinventing the wheel every time. Like, and maybe this would help. Maybe if they can get their stupid, like, 
wheel reinvention, you know, instincts out on new IP, they will just make a normal fucking Mario game for once. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I get, you know, I know, I know like we want innovation. We want to move things forward, but it's like, then you kind of seem to have gotten paralyzed in the wrong direction and, you know, fusion lessened the exploration and then other M removed it completely. Right. And now we're sitting around hoping that Metroid prime four exists at some point, And I don't know what we're waiting for anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm very focused on the Metroid thing right now because I played a Metroidvania this week and it just reminds me that like <laughs> Metroid ain't getting nothing this yeah, year. We're going to talk about that game here in a little bit. But yeah. so Matt, knowing that they are going to focus on new IP going forward while still giving us those old favorites, what direction do you think that new IP should go? Um, I do think they could use like an epic action RPG. Um, Besides you know, Zelda, not- you mean? Yeah, I mean Zelda is much more of a an adventure game. Like, you know, there's not a lot of RPG to Zelda. Um but I think Nintendo could use their own take on the open world action RPG, which they don't really have right now. Yeah. Um you know, like something with stats and skills and upgrades and, you know, stuff like that. I think you know, like a, like a I guess like a Immortals uh you know, Phoenix Rising, Phoenix Rising kind of thing. Um, so I, I mean, got Fire scratches that itch a little bit, but sort of, but it's more of a turn-based tactics thing. Yeah. Um, I just mean something with like, you know, Zelda's combat and fire emblems depth, okay. I guess would maybe be the, the balance there. Um, what about as far as tone? Do you think it's smarter for Nintendo to keep making content for general audiences? Or do you think it's yeah, maybe I, finally I think, time for them to edge up a little bit? I think they've kind of nailed the tone. I think I think they're kind of exactly where they need to be in terms of like you know it ranges like Fire Emblem's got some innuendo. It's you know it's a little up more. Xenoblade as well as an example. Yeah, Xenoblade is 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 solid. Um, I mean, I love Xenoblade, the first Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, I enjoyed X very much. Uh, I I'm thinking more along the lines of an Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey sort yeah. of thing. A more actiony thing. I mean, you know, there's something a little more Western. You mean instead of yeah, a little bit. I mean, I mean, strangely uh, Japanese. Yeah, like I guess like I'd like to see Nintendo take a crack at a fable, basically. Okay. Um, so something more maybe like will, teen rated, not necessarily yeah. like M rated. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean Xenoblade. I would like them to do more Xenoblade uh, if they could get away from the anime waifu crap. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, I think that franchise like, may be done, Matt. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. They sold. They sold well. Did they? Yeah. I didn't think the last one did. I thought it even on Switch, which has a huge install base. I thought it didn't. No, do two well. sold well. Xenoblade Chronicles uh, Definitive Edition sold well. Um, I think we will see another Xenoblade. Uh, I'm just very nervous about what it might be. Um, <laughs> Because I, you know, it is no secret that I vastly prefer the first Xenoblade Chronicles to the second one. Um, I like X okay, but X is, um, I like X because of the world. I like the X because of the exploration. Uh, the story is complete garbage. Uh, it's like watching a D-list, like, afternoon syndicated shonen anime. <laughs> um, but, like, running around that alien world and exploring it and finding stuff and scan, like, I, lo- I love that part. And getting the mech and you know that's that's all great. Um, I would love to see that come to the Switch. That's one of the last uh, Wii U exclusives that's sort of stranded back there that I'd like to see come forward. Um, yeah, no, like the problem with the original IP prediction thing is like 
um, for all I can make fun of Nintendo, I don't know what the hell they're going to do next. Like their new IPs are sometimes the most batshit things in the industry. Like they, they, sometimes they, they're great though. Like I really like Splatoon. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't, but I do. I mean, I don't, I don't like Splatoon in the sense that I just don't care about competitive online games, but I like the, the aesthetic of it. I like the, the, the way they look. I think it's, you know, it has personality. It, lo- it looks identifiably Nintendo to me. Like that's more than I can say about a lot of the new stuff they've made. What do you think about them aging up and work? They've look. They've tried. They've kind of dabbled in it before. Um, they, look, they haven't mm-hmm. gone crazy like hardcore M rated, but they have definitely tried. They've dipped their toes in more mature yeah, content. I mean, it hasn't Astral really Chain done well too far for them to, though. Be a bayonet. Bayonet three theoretically is down there somewhere. Probably gonna be M rated. Um, Eternal Darkness was certainly one of their examples where they tried it. Yeah, if you want to go back 20 years again, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, they haven't done it very much because it seems like no, every time they do try no. it, it even teen-rated games, like, just haven't done well. What was the what was the one game that was, like, basically called Ghost, but it was a different word? Geist. Geist, yeah. Like, that was a little edgier, but it didn't do well either. Like, and Tribe. I mean, but most people just remember that game because you could possess a bowl of dog food. Yeah, or anything, um, like any inanimate object. I did the I did the review segment for that on X Play. I remember that I, that was one of the toughest review segments I did that year. I think because it was just so hard to get any kind of variety of footage from it. Yeah, it was most of that game was just going into inanimate objects and waiting. Yeah, I mean, you could have done <laughs> something fun great. with that for X Play though, because you could have just like done this weird like something is possessed in the room sketch or whatever. Yeah, that was that was at the time when um, we weren't really doing that doing anymore. Anything. It was, yeah. it was, I think it was near, it was when we were sold and everything was in transition. It was one of the last things I think we did and I did at the, the San Francisco office ah. before we moved. Yep, that explains um, it. But, uh, but, you know, Astral Chain, it's like, I think it's T-rated yeah. and it did I mean, they do a lot of T stuff. I mean, I think uh, Zelda's T. Is it? Um, uh, certainly Fire Emblem Three Houses is T. Uh, it's way too many bouncy boobs in that to not have it be a T. <laughs> um, Vincent brings up that Nintendo owns Fatal Frame. Yeah. I thought um, Tecmo or some Japanese publisher owned that. Tecmo person. used to make it, but I think uh, they paid, uh, Nintendo paid at least for the development of the Wii U version, the Wii U game, um, which I assume will never make it off the Wii U again because... <laughs> That'll be the one game that doesn't, probably. Yeah, you really do need the game, pa- the Wii U gamepad for that one, for the camera thing, yeah. um, which reminds me, I need to buy up. that before the Wii U shuts down. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I would like to point, have actually. that uh, uh, before that all goes away because I assume that's not going to last forever. Um, yeah, I mean, they have their M-rated stuff here and there. It's just they don't really seem to put a lot of effort into making it happen. Um, probably because it's not, you know, it's not, I I think their, their kind of target audience they've got like kind of locked down right now is fine. Like it's not, they're, do you think a game like the last of us part two would even do very well on a Nintendo platform? No. Well, also like, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to imagine they would be willing to like tell a story like that. Like it's just not, you know, store also story isn't really their forte most of the time. Do you think that's maybe um, what they should focus on with new IP, though, is becoming better at telling stories? Because that's something that they could work on that would trickle down to all their I other mean, games. I mean, sort of, but it's like you don't have to be good at everything. Yeah. You should might as well just focus on what you were already good at. So you're saying stay in your lane. Nintendo. Stay in the lane. Do the gameplay. You know, they do gameplay better than just about anybody. So yep. uh, at least when they're when they're when they're running on all cylinders. So like, um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't need Nintendo to to try to tell me stories really. I mean, I am interested in those like 
mystery games that are coming out soon because those have been stuck in Japan for years. Um, I'm curious what those are going to be like the Famicom mystery things. Yep. Um, but I don't expect them to be much beyond like your average Saturday morning cartoon. Um, and, and they had, you know, they've had like, you know what? I, I would like to see. I mean, this is not new IP again, but I would like to see them revisit Hotel Dusk. Mm. Yeah, um, that was a pretty cool game. That was a DS game, right? Yeah, yeah. The sequel to that didn't even come here. I had to buy it when I was in England. Yeah, I remember that. That's weird. It's very rare that a game comes to Europe and doesn't come here. That hardly ever happens. But mm-hmm. that was well, that happened with Xenoblade originally. Yeah, it did. Yeah, for came, the Wii, the original Wii yeah. version. Yeah, came out in, came out in uh, Europe, and I imported it I so have I can play European it here. Version too, actually. And did the whole uh, I did the whole weird like USB hack thing so I could play yep. region free with it, and then they brought it out here on through, <laughs> through GameStop, <laughs> and I was like, okay, which sure. is also weird. <laughs> it's also very weird. Yeah, that was one of those cases um, where Reggie listened to the fans and then he got all testy about it because nobody bought it, right? Like, yeah, because you put it out through a, one store <laughs> that didn't even advertise it. Of course, it didn't I sell. I bought got, right? I bought three of them. I bought I gave him the guest gifts that year. Um, Reggie got all heated about that. Because he's like, we finally listened to you guys, and you asked for something, and then none of you bought it. Yeah, well, then you put out the definitive edition and sold real well, so bite me. <laughs> um, that game's great. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. I don't know. Like, is new IP really their problem? I can see why they might think so. I mean, you can only make so many Kirby games before you go mad. I mean, maybe the developers are coming to him and they're like, bro, I'm sick of working on Mario and Zelda games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could have a whole bunch of Gorilla Games in there where... Uh, and I don't mean the Donkey Kong developers. Yeah. I mean like like Guerrilla Games with Sony, where it's like we've made Killzone for a decade, and we desperately want to make something we care about. Um, you could have some of that in there. I mean, you never know once you yeah you know, once you let a couple of these developers off the chain and see yeah, what I mean, they want to actually forget, do. Nintendo developers are human beings too. Like they yeah. can burn out on working on the same crap for the last forty years. Like mm-hmm. they may be ready to try something new. I'd be curious to kind of understand the motivation behind this because it's. I'm also wondering if it's if, if it's what you say all the time, where it's a it's a solution in search of a problem. It could be. I mean, you you can talk about new IP all the all the time. You know, what might be better is if you just get the things you say you're making done. Yep. You know, like, like get, get Metroid Breath of the Wild Prime two done, done this year. That'd be great. Get Breath of the Wild two done. Get uh, maybe give us an update on what the fucking Shin Megami Tensei thing is doing. Yeah. You showed that game when you announced the system. <laughs> It's crazy. What is happening? Is that the only game left that hasn't been released when they showed the system? I think so. Yeah, I think that's the last one. If I can't remember any others, anyway. Yep. (laughs) That's a big one, though. Yeah. That'll be a big game for them in Japan, man. That'll be some more hardware for them there. Yeah. I don't know. I I tend to agree with you, Matt. I don't know that Nintendo ever kind of straying into mature content is going to be a good fit for Nintendo as far as what's good, good at creating or a good fit for the people who generally buy Nintendo consoles. Um, I mean, I I'd love to see an Eternal Darkness 2 or uh, something like that, but it's like, do I think that's going to be one of their 20 million sellers or something? No. It's no. just something I would like to play. That would I mean, sell it's kind of the same like thing with my Metroid complaints. Or whatever, like it did the first time. Yeah, I mean, Metroid doesn't sell like Mario and Pokemon and, and Zelda. What about but, aging up Metroid a little bit? Would you be okay with that? I mean, I'd be okay with aging up as much as they want. It's just, I just don't think it's a particularly smart business strategy. Yeah. It just alienates, alienates too much of your base. I'd agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, would I would I play a bloodier version of Metroid? Sure, I guess, but I don't need that. Yeah, I, don't like that, I just need more Metroid. Yep. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't know that that's a smart path forward for Nintendo, to be perfectly honest with you, from a fiscal or a creative perspective. Um, 
I almost feel like if they tried to make a game like a Last of Us, it would almost be more of a detriment. Because I think you'd see some of the shortcomings in their game development if they were to try to work on projects like that, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Miyamoto has said many times that they basically start from, you know, they start from an idea of like, you know, you play the game in a block form with stick figures and stuff. And if it's not fun that way, it's not going to be fun when you slap textures on everything. Um, You know, GoldenEye would be fun even if it wasn't, you know, it was just stick figures running around. That kind of thing. Um, and I don't think, you know, if you're going to come at it like that, I don't think you necessarily are going to ever end up saying like, okay, this is a lot of fun to play. Now let's make everything bleed a lot. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't really add anything, yeah. you know, like, like you kind of, for the M rated stuff, especially the so like Sony, that's all high concept stuff. You start with the story idea for last of us and back into the gameplay idea of how violent it gets. Um, Nintendo just doesn't seem to make things in that, that way. And it works for them. Yeah, I would also um, argue, Matt, that like you're just, sitting around trying to think about an, an edgy, mature game. You are never going to come up with Splatoon. Yeah, <laughs> and Splatoon that's what I was has done say. real well for them. It's like let Nintendo be Nintendo, in all yeah. honesty, because it's pretty damn good at what it does. And I have a feeling that anything that we suggest, we would suggest that Nintendo should work on, they'll come up with something that's better. Like, am I a right. fan like of you could do Adventure? a version of Splatoon? No. Like in some horrible Lavo, no. like mirror universe, there's a version of Splatoon where. The paint is blood, and you have to like <laughs> exsanguinate your opponent so you can spray blood all over the floor, and that's how you win. And they're all vampire bats or something, you know. But yeah, that's that like, like a Kojima Sega, game. That's like a Sega game from like the Dreamcast era. It's like that would yeah. be how they compete with Splatoon. Then is just like we're gonna make a vampire bat Rouge the Bat <laughs> game where she M rated and and Shadow shows up with his dual pistols and like is like yeah that that's that's some Sega edgy shit. Nintendo doesn't need that. Yeah, I agree. So we'll wait with bated breath to see exactly what Furukawa is talking about because um, I'm always excited to. I would argue new Nintendo IP. I'm generally more excited to find out about than almost any other developer. So yeah, I mean also like just more content would be yeah. great. Yep. New right. IP, old IP, whatever you got. Yep. Like, let's see it. All right. Let's move on. We're going to talk next briefly about WWE 2K22. It was just announced this weekend during WrestleMania, which apparently WrestleMania was just abysmal. Um, <laughs> I don't know. People are saying that like they've taken this new tact with the way they do WrestleMania now, and they don't bring in like all the guest appearances. They stick with like the people who have just been a part of their production for the whole year, and I guess it's just made... WrestleMania a non-event now? I don't know. I haven't watched wrestling since I was like eight or whatever. I mean, I've, I've been in and out of it over the t- over the years of the last WrestleMania. I was. So I did see a lot of people complaining that Roman Reigns won the big thing in WrestleMania this year. And the last, and they're like, that was the worst, the worst time the last time he won WrestleMania. And the last time I watched WrestleMania, he won. So I guess that's what they're, t- I don't remember how many years ago that was, but um uh, I, I watch wrestle. I watch the WWE because I have friends who are into it, and I will end up at a WrestleMania viewing party periodically. Obviously, that did not happen this year. So the only reason I know WrestleMania happened is because I saw people posting about it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, mostly angry uh, and disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I see many positive reviews of it. But like, look, folks. Like, I you know I remember watching WrestleMania two back in the day. And I thought I was like riveted by that stuff. You know, I was I, all the all the Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan oh, stuff I mean, was that's just what like I love amazing. I mean, I my dad, we had a satellite dish back then, and we mm-hmm. could get everything free. This was before like they scrambled stuff, and so WrestleMania one 
Everybody came to my house to watch WrestleMania for free. There was probably like 40 people at our house to watch the first WrestleMania. And I, I followed wrestling probably until like WrestleMania 3, and that's kind of where I fell off and didn't care anymore. Um, res- wrestling video games have had a spotty history throughout the industry, but most recently, mm-hmm. the WWE games have been abysmal. In fact, yep. WWE 2K20 was so bad that it, they took a two-year hiatus, took the game away from Ukes, and now it's being developed by Visual Concepts, which have made like baseball games and football games in the past, and made and make NBA 2K. NBA 2K. Um, I think they also make that new golf, the new golf game, if I remember correctly. They they must have like exploded as far as like their size to be able to handle all these projects. But they're also making the new wrestling game. And as I said, they debuted it this weekend. Um, Matt, taking a look at this trailer though, it doesn't look all that great to me. I mean. I don't know. It, it it doesn't look like a next gen game. It it looks like it could just be like made on the same engine as WWE 2K20. Like mm-hmm. they don't show a ton of gameplay in this trailer, but like what they do show, like here I'll just pause it really quickly so you can get a like a really good look at the the visuals in the game. But I don't know, man. It doesn't really it doesn't look next gen, that's for sure, and that's kind of the expectation now. If you're going to release a new game in 2021, it better look pretty good running on the PS5 and the series console I, consoles. I think. Um, what do you? What would you want on a wish list for this game, Matt? Like, what should they focus on as they work on this game and complete this game? And probably at this point, it's feature complete, is my guess. I mean. Um... Yeah, if you want my honest reaction, I could not possibly care less. Um, I have written off WWE video games as a lost cause at this point. What I would argue is that they should just keep it really. I do think that in terms of like at least what I can gather from my friends who still like watch wrestling and like wrestling and would like a a game they want to play, um, the visuals are not nearly as important as the versatility uh, of being able to create wrestlers being able to to modify stuff and having kind of the story and narrative and character interactions there. Um, Cause let's face it, wrestling fans have put up with some real awful gameplay for pretty much the entire history of wrestling games. Um, it, it, you know, there, there was that brief golden age on the, on the N64 um, with, you know, WW, WCW, no mercy. And um, the uh, I'd say WrestleMania 2000, uh, which was all done by uh, Ukes. Um, the SmackDown games on PlayStation had their moments, um, and Fire Pro Wrestling on the Saturn was fucking amazing. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, WWE. It was all Japan Pro Wrestling. But like, um, I, in my experience, wrestling fans will forgive a lot of jank if they can like make it feel like what they want it to feel like aesthetically. Um, so far, this game does not seem to be hitting that mark. Um, like, I, we don't really know too much about it, but uh, I don't see a lot of optimism from my wrestling fan friends. I see no reason to try to change their mind, I guess would be my reaction currently. I would just argue that they just need to just call it. Like, not call it, C-U-L-L. Like, pull back on some of the features. These games have become mm-hmm. so freaking bloated. Like... There's literally like 10 different modes in these games. There's like three different story modes. There's like the GM mode. Then there's like one where you can just follow like one wrestler through their career. Like 
it's just too much. And if you're a new studio working on a new sport that you haven't really worked on in your entire history, how about you just worry about getting the wrestling right and maybe just have like one story mode that you play through and then a really good multiplayer mode loaded with like cosmetics and things that you can unlock as you play. Like the problem with Ukes is that like instead of them being like, man, our games are really buggy and there's all these problems with our games and some of these modes don't work the way that they're supposed to. And they would keep working on that instead of just getting the core gameplay to work. And then Mm -hmm. WWE 2K20 was just a bug fest, just loaded with problems and crash bugs. They don't know if they ever I mean, we've talked about it before, but it's like wrestling, WWE games have always had that seem to have this weird problem where like they don't iterate on what came before. It's like they start over every time. Yes. And like you, if you just keep, you know, like for, for this kind of reboot, which is really what it is, you know, in a, in a, in a practical way, like, yeah, they probably should have started fairly bare bones, fairly small, like one story mode, you know, create a wrestler as best you can, you know, multiplayer stuff and kind of just get the fundamentals done yeah. and build out from there. And like, what what's really going to help them is if they can come up with a system where, you know, WWE games should really just be roster updates every year when it yeah. comes down to it. Create it should be the same game with a little few more bells and whistles and the characters adjusted for their new, you know, heels and faces or whatever they are that year and that season, <coughs> incorporating the 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 new storylines of the last year and giving you sort of a jumping off point there. Um, beyond that, like you, they, they, I don't understand. I never, never understood why those wrestling games seem to continually reinvent the wheel. Like to try, Oh, this year, the combat works this way. It's like, why can't you just find a combat system that works properly Hone it. and kind of build on that every year? Why, yeah. you, why it, it feels, it feels like, like that period where Assassin's Creed was being made by all different teams. And every time you didn't quite know what you were going to get because yeah. they weren't building on what came before because they couldn't because everybody was working parallel to each other. Yeah. Um, like it's like that. And it just seems like, you know, in the same way that Madden sort of launches each new generation, you know, feeling a little pared back and then sort of builds back up to the full-fledged version of itself by the end of that generation. It feels like the WWE game should be doing that. Yep. I honestly, I think you're right. I think they should create a platform. Like, but you know what? The fact that it's called WWE 2K22, it tells mm-hmm. you that that is not what they're going to do. They're going nope, to that is release. this year's version, and you'll be buying 2K23 next they're year. They're going to try to release it every year, like other sports games. Vincent brought this up in the chat. It's a stupid idea. It's why the games keep being trash. It's why they can never get things fixed in the first place because it's mm-hmm. they're on this squirrel wheel year after year after year. Yeah. Like and you make it a platform, a platform. You can, can you can make you can adjust on the fly to what the stories become, which alignments all the characters have, yeah. who's allied with who. You know, it like stop putting could, the wrestlers people care about behind paywalls. That would be another good thing. That would like, be good. Yes. Like give here's what you do. You have a huge roster with your first outing. You have a good campaign, just one campaign that you play through that you can play through with any of the wrestlers. You can swap them in or out. Play that same campaign over and over. Maybe there's a couple branching paths here or there. Set up an awesome multiplayer mode with lots of cosmetics that has all their classic outfits. Done. Mm-hmm. That's it. Maybe the first year you sell the platform for 50 bucks or whatever because eventually you're going to make tons of money off microtransactions if you're smart about it and not being a douche about it like they have mm-hmm. been in the past. Um, and I would do something like I think like a campaign, You know, at least for starters – uh, you know, in kind of like a reboot fashion. Like, I think a, a, a WWE campaign, you should basically build it kind of like Mad Libs. 
Like when you start the thing, it should be like, who do you want to play? Okay. Who do you want your tag team partner to be? This guy. Uh, who who do you want your rivals to be? These two. Ah, uh, yeah. Like who, you know, who, who's the guy that ruins everything for you? Who's the guy that wants to join you, but you don't want him to join you? Who's, who's the, the guy that's going to betray yeah, you? Who's the, yeah. Basically you pick all the, your wrestlers you want to fit the story roles and then you play the campaign and they show up and do those things as you play. Yeah. And that could switch like, it up every time you play through it as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's like you can change it however you like. You can kind of play your own story out. You can make it fit exactly how it works in the in the real WWE, or you can kind of make up your own. Like that's how I would do it. I would just be kind of a it would be kind of a plug and play narrative where you just pick who you want to be in it and like kind of have the little play. It plays out like a little stage production. Sort and of they'll thing. never do it. <laughs> no, it's a little too simple, I guess. <laughs> Uh, of so course, anyway, we, also we also don't know like how controlling the license holder is. You know, God yeah. knows what the McMahons are yelling at you to do while you're well, trying to make one of these way, things. Matt, all the trailers that I just ran for this is a huge mistake. They're all gonna pop. Copyright <laughs> strikes. I'm gonna have to like edit out all the B-roll. I, I totally slipped my mind before I ran it, and as soon as I saw that 2K Battlegrounds trailer that I started running, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's right, because that's the last time that we got a strike was from mm-hmm. that stupid game and that stupid trailer. So. We have to cut all that stuff out in the final show. Otherwise, YouTube will, I think, actually, they blocked it last time. Like, people couldn't even watch it. So after the, today, I'm going to be going in and editing all that stuff out of there. But anyway, that's all we know about it right now. It looks like it's cruising for a bruising to me, Matt. I mean, the fact that it has the year on it instead of just calling it, like, WWE whatever, like a platform that they can build on, does not bode well. Also, the idea that visual concepts is making this when they're already kind of stretched thin. Like, it just doesn't. I don't think it's tracking in a good direction. So we'll learn more soon, I'm guessing. Uh, this was just a debut teaser trailer featuring Rey Mysterio. Um, I don't know why they decided to focus on him, but I guess maybe he's been gone for a while or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's back. He's, 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 he's hot right now. Okay. So maybe they chose the right guy for that. But there wasn't a lot of uh, – there weren't many ripples going through the industry this weekend as that new trailer was debuted, and for good reason. I think people's expectations are just like rock bottom at this point. So we'll probably learn a lot more soon. Uh, next up. We talked a little bit earlier about how Sony was kind of pulling back on what it believes are riskier projects or riskier ideas for first-party funding and development. And part of that story that's been tied up in this story is something else that leaked this week, and that was that Kojima's next game was denied or rejected by PlayStation. And because of that, he has now been shopping the game to Xbox, and it's looking likely that his next game will, in fact, be an Xbox game. Um, Initially, people thought his next game was going to be a horror game because he's been talking about that. And then there were all the stuff about Silent Hill, and maybe he's going back into the fold with Konami to work on Silent Hill. He did Silent Hills, or, I'm sorry, PT, which was in Silent Hills, or a demo for for Silent Hills, and we all know how that went. Um, But now the rumors are kind of swinging back to it's going to be a follow-up to Death Stranding. Um, Matt, what could, what should Kojima do next? Do you think it should be a follow-up to Death Stranding? No, I think, uh, I think he should stop trying to literally make fetch happen. Um, because that's all you do in Death Stranding, um, is fetch. Uh, I mean, Death Stranding did fine, I guess, but like... I don't know if it did. I mean, I don't know. I think it did okay. It was one of the first PlayStation exclusives to go to PC. I would believe that was for a reason. I mean, the re- I think the reason is it was also they put it on they ported it to PC while they're making it. I don't I don't think that happened too fast to be some kind of desperation move. 
from from seeing that it wasn't selling well. Um, I think that's just probably a technical thing they figured out while they were making it and were like saying, hey, why not? Oh, now the engine works. Let's just put Horizon over there. Oh, it's full of bugs. Um, but uh, I mean, whatever Microsoft thinks will help them, but it doesn't feel to me like that's going to be a particularly useful IP to suddenly have on your system, especially when you were never going to be able to offer the first one on your system um, outside of Windows, of course. Um, I, if I were Microsoft, I would want to make something new. Me too. Then again, if maybe it's maybe you think he'll go faster if he already knows what he's making. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like doing the sequel like that on a separate platform where you're never going to get the first game on the platform. It's already kind of not, you know, it didn't really make the impact, you know, Sony hoped it would certainly didn't make the impact that Kojima fans claimed it would, um, for all the, for all the Sturm and Drang surrounding it and the, the amount of game awards hype for it. Like how often do people talk about death stranding anymore? No, hardly at all. And for good reason. It was a, to me, it was a very forgettable game. Yeah. I mean, the, the visuals in the tease were, you know, it definitely had a, a what the hell is it sort of appeal in the run up to its, you know, completion. But in the end, like you could get those plastic babies for like 15 bucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the limited edition the, versions of this Buy. game, they had to end up giving them away. Yeah. Um, it just did not end up having the appeal that a Metal Gear did. I mean, it had um, like a huge star in it that everybody recognizes, granted, from a TV show that had been fading in popularity, but still, everybody knows who Norman mm -hmm. Reedus is. Everyone recognizes Norman Reedus. They marketed it. Like, there are TV commercials everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it had, you know, it had Mads Mikkelsen in it. I guess not nobody. Um, and you walk, you, know, you look at it, and you're like, oh, what the hell is that? Like, you know, it's, it's not like it's not intriguing when you see the imagery from it. Um, Do you think this might be a game where game reviews really did, like, tank it hard? No, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, game reviews had something to do with it, but I think part of it is like, you watch 10 minutes of this thing and you know it's boring. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> like, like, I think Twitch might have had more to do with it just because, like, you could watch somebody play it and you're like, that's okay, that's it. Like, you just, you just walk. And, like, and again, like I've said before, um, the, the, the goal of the gameplay is to keep it boring. Yeah. Like if something I mean, something objective. interesting that's what happens, you're trying to do as the yeah. player. <laughs> if something interesting happens in one of your delivery runs, is because you fucked up. You made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> if you're having fun, you fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be on the box. <laughs> like the biggest goals of like, and I like all the community building stuff where you kind of communally build like structures and stuff. And, but at one point, like you know, the the I was playing back when it was when it was new, and between me and a bunch of other people, we built like a giant highway crisscrossing the whole right. main areas of things. And like that meant like nothing ever happened. Right. Like it was great because you go back and forth and like, you know, just deliver stuff and you never got molested by anything and the monsters weren't a problem and like it was fine. But it also meant that you had basically just turned it into a taxi service. Yeah. Do you think Microsoft would ever greenlight the sequel to this game? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I don't know what Microsoft does, but like. I feel like if I'm them, I want something new. I want something that might have, have a chance to catch fire. Do you think you uh, might look I, at it like, though, okay, everybody knows what it is now, and maybe people will give a sequel uh, another chance? No, I, I feel like if you know what Death Stranding is, maybe that's not such a great thing. <laughs> 
Do you think like, Kojima I'm sure should it, make I another? I know it has diehard defenders and Kojima fans, like you know, blah 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 blah. But like, look, not that many people give a shit about this game. What about the idea that maybe Kojima should just tone it down a little bit and make something a little more normal that people can uh, look at and understand and be like, I know what that is. I understand I mean, how that plays. Uh, I understand what the objective is. I get. Yeah, I mean, plot. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's bad advice. But like, would it be Kojima if he did that? I mean, he made Metal Gear for a long time. He managed to squeeze all kinds of goofy stuff into that while still being a pretty traditional game to play. Sort of. I mean, I would argue that Metal Gear, you know, certainly the Metal Gear Solid era, nothing else really plays like that. Um, there's other stealth games, obviously, that take cues from Metal Gear Solid 2 and such. But, like, having just installed a bunch of them from on the PS3, just, you know, that was part of the things I bought to, like, have digital versions of going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I did load up Metal Gear Solid 2 and Metal Gear Solid 3, and it's just like, look, man, like there's other games that are inspired by those games, but nothing like quite as overly needlessly complex as some of the ways all those, you know, some of the things you can do in that game. Um, yeah, like the CQC, and you either think that's genius or it's infuriating. But, and three and the whole bandaging crap and oh yeah, or just the fact that you got to hold the button down to sneak. No one fucking told me that the first three <laughs> times I played that stupid game. I hate Metal Gear Solid Three. Um, I've never made it more than two hours into I'm that game. I'm not a fan of it either. I had to review it and had to play the whole damn thing for X Play, and it was torture. Yeah, I remember that. And I know people think it's like the greatest Metal Gear or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you if I just, you know, like a lot of boss battles are amazing ideas. Like yeah. a lot of the stuff in it is really cool. Good but I'll never sure. see it because I hate playing every second of it. <laughs> I was like that too, man. I hated the whole bandaging thing and all that. I just, and it's not like I want teeth. to. Like I like you, if everything I read or see about that game sounds really cool. I just hate playing it yeah then you gotta actually play it to get to the cool stuff yeah boss fights are definitely a highlight but matt maybe do you think the best idea is for him to just create another metal gear maybe i mean i don't think you can do that without konami's involvement i mean Um, if you're thinking about just the financial success of kojima productions do you think that that's probably the smartest thing he could do i don't know um, I feel like Konami's not going to give him a very good profit share there. No, no, I'm not saying call it Metal Gear. I'm saying no, just like do another paramilitary thing. That looks eerily similar to Metal Gear. I guess I don't know. I mean, you you could argue that some of Death Stranding already looks like that. Um, he's so he seems feels like he's moved past kind of the, the military shooty shooty stuff though. Like maybe he wouldn't want to make that, but at a certain point, I guess you're right. It does become a survival question. Because I don't think he gets away um, with releasing another game that sells like Death Stranding did. No. I mean, I feel like at this point, like, he, he probably has another, you know, weird, semi-supernatural, paramilitary, sneaky game story in him that incorporates the lessons of social media and <laughs> the pandemic. And, th- you know, he's got to have something to say in that regard after all that, right? Because, yeah. like... Metal Gear Solid Five doesn't really address any of that because the story's so unfinished. The last real like message story game we got through Metal Gear from him was Four, which was forever ago. Um, I feel like I feel like enough time because that when was Metal Gear Solid Four? Was that like two thousand eight? Four, two thousand seven, I believe. Seven? Yeah, that's a long time ago. It is. Like a long so, he's time he's ago. probably got another idea in his head. I would think like the rise of social media, just the rise of Twitter. You would think would have something. To, to inform. To yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean. I don't think yeah. it could be another game like this where you look at it and you're like, what the hell? Because remember, Matt, for like a year and a half, the question was, what is it? 
Of course I remember that because I was the one saying, I don't know what the fuck it is. And it was like, everyone else, including you, was like, oh, I'm so excited about this. And I was like, but what is it? Like, we don't know what it is. It's just dead whales and oil. Like, we don't know what we're doing. And then, like, they show the gameplay and we're like, we still don't really know what we're doing. Like, yeah. we're going to walk and across a field. it turns out, that's because you weren't doing anything. Right, because we're <laughs> like, oh, is it going to be a hiking simulator? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Turned out. Yeah, I don't think he can do that again either, where he waits until the end to really explain what the game is. Like, Yeah, something a little more intuitive would probably be helpful. Um, It's it's just, and also like just every single trailer for Death Stranding is just the most pretentious crap. Like, it's just like. I mean, his trailers have always been like that, though. Of course, of course. But like. Metal Gear kind of had some inertia to it where, like, even if I thought what was happening in the trailer was stupid, I was like, well, it's Metal Gear. Like, I'm glad to see those characters again, yeah. you know? Uh, this, I, you know, I don't have any affection for Norman Reedus. It's, like, nope. not really... I'm, I'm not, I don't care what happens to naked Norman Reedus and his his plastic baby. Like, I'm, I, it's not my thing. Um, and, the, and when I finally got my hands on the game, it did nothing to change my mind. So, mm. yeah. He's a. I, I feel think like he Kojima would benefit is really from a more break stage here. Like he needs to. He needs a hit. Yeah, I mean, there's only so far you can drag the. Uh, he's Kojima, so we're going to give him money because he's because he's Kojima thing. Yeah, because back point, when we were got... PlayStation earlier, like they've become a bottom line business. They're like, look, we're done with these little arty projects that don't make money. Right. We can't afford to do that anymore. And Microsoft will like probably be willing to just have the prestige of Kojima, having a yeah. Kojima exclusive once that still does carry weight like it or not yeah it does it absolutely mean will mean something particularly to xbox fans who have been starved for exclusives for a really long time um they i think they would even be happy with death stranding too honestly maybe i mean we'll see like i'd like to see him take another crack at sort of a zone of the ender style thing but yeah. Um, I think one of the strongest things he's always had is uh, the the mech designs from that one artist. Uh, uh, I can't remember his name, Shinkawa or something like that. Yeah, I'll never remember his name. Um, like all that stuff is one of some of the coolest stuff that ever. You know, the Metal Gear designs are all really cool. Metal Gear, Metal Gear Ray is one of the coolest things he ever put in a game. Um, I'd like to see him with, do do a little more mech stuff, um, and not just like the you know the mech you know the mech is always the Metal Gear it's the big final battle or whatever I like to see a you know something a little more along the lines of that you know that, that one level in, in Metal Gear Solid Four where you get in wrecks and have to fight off all the rays like stuff mm-hmm. like that it's cool I think the first trailer for his next game needs to show somebody shooting sneaking something traditional from games that people can attach to um, mm-hmm. this ambiguous like. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get away with the weird, like, what is it thing yeah, I again. Just, I'm over it, man. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I felt burned no. by by his last game. I just did. So, and I think a lot of people yeah. would agree. So, oh, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't didn't feel burned because that's exactly what I thought it was going to be, but I didn't feel any real vindication for it. It was just sort of like, yep, that's exactly how I thought that would go. And like, yeah, I would much rather have something I really, you know, because I I'm not a giant Metal Gear fan, but like I certainly enjoyed two and four a lot, and one I think one's still the best one. Um, ben Link says maybe he can make Days Gone too. <laughs> that's actually an interesting idea probably is i'd rather play that than death stranding too i'll say that yeah. much 
I mean, obviously you wouldn't call it Days Gone 2, but like no. taking the idea there. Like I wouldn't mind adapting... Kojima making a zombie game. I'd no, like totally a horde-driven cool zombie open world. Yeah, I, I, that might might be too, something to that. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the rumors were sort of about a horror game, but I, that might be the game that Sony turned down. I don't know. But yeah. they're saying that they're going to unveil it soon as well. So my mm-hmm. guess is E3, probably. We'll get the I would think look. so. I also it's wonder if we're going to see any movement on that Silent Hill thing. Because, you know, we're still waiting to see if that's dead or not. Yeah, I'm really starting to wonder what is going on with that, to be perfectly honest with you. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if we'll ever find out. (laughs) Yeah. Because Konami just seems to just keep... Ask Schreier about that. (laughs) Ah, yeah. I'm not... Look, Three Night Weekend isn't about, like, getting scoops. Um, I don't care about Three Night Weekend. Just ask him. (laughs) Off the record and tell him. Yeah, maybe I will. Uh, so anyway, that's the latest on Kojima. Who knows what the hell's going to actually end up happening because it is Kojima. It could be anything. Uh, but I do mm-hmm. hope he goes a more conservative, more. I hate to tell someone as creative as him to be boring, but <laughs> I feel like it's kind of uh, around. He already did boring. Like, believe me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think he thinks it was boring, though. I think he was. He, I think he thinks Death Stranding was very creative and unique and different. And maybe so. I mean, it, it was very so. creative and unique and different. It's just also boring. Yeah. And all. Absolutely. Just because you are unique does not mean you are useful. That's true. <laughs> Another Mattism right there. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about another story that has kind of been raising a stink over the last week. Some Twitch streamers, some of the more influencer-focused Twitch streamers, have been raising a stink lately because people in their chat have been upset that they are playing games on easy mode. And Matt, I... Have we talked about easy mode before? I mean, I know we talk about how we always play it on medium because we feel like that's what Mm -hmm. most people are going to play games on. And we feel like if we're going to give an accurate critique for most of our audience that we should be playing it on the same difficulty setting as other people. Some of that. We talk talk about it in conjunction with like the Dark Souls games once in a while because that gets brought up a lot by people. Yeah. And obviously I would love it if there were an easy mode in Dark Souls games. Mm -hmm. Matt, you don't really care, right? You're just like, let people play it. I look, I'm never going to use an easy mode in a game except for the rare occasion like uh what was what was the red faction open world destructive like red faction resistance oh, gorilla gorilla no, that's right gorilla. gorilla red faction gorilla like they the developers were like we fucked up the balance on the normal mode you should just play it on casual because otherwise you're going to die too fast to have any fun destroying shit so yeah. i played that on casual and they were right normal mode was too hard on that game yeah um but normally i will play normal mode like the default whatever that is um i don't care what anyone else plays a game on like i am not impressed that you beat that game on very hard i am not looking down on you cuz you played it on easy like i it it's mind shredding to me that anyone cares about that about how someone else does some does use it consumes their entertainment on like you know i mean i guess it kind of like if like i am horrified if you have auto motion plus or like motion smoothing on on your tv and you're watching you know <laughs> you're watching major films that look like you know they were shot in a soap opera set but like if that's what you want to do that's what you I mean that's it's your your life you know <laughs> but like um, the easy mode thing is just one of the dumbest gatekeepiest. Like, I, I, it's a, it's like I, as someone who who whines about a, a Twitch stream doing that, I find that pathetic. Like, if you don't like it, don't watch them. Mind your own fucking business. Do you think Twitch streamers should tell people whether they're playing, what difficulty they're playing the game on? I, 
I mean, I would it never occur to me to care, but I guess they should because apparently people do like. Don't you think some people watch Twitch streamers to figure out whether they want to buy it or not and trying to figure out whether a game is difficult or not might impact their decision to buy the game? I don't care. Like <laughs> if it's unless it's unless that's the Twitch streamer's like mission is to like be a buyer's guide, like okay, but if they're just playing a game to chat with people and have fun, like it's not up to them to to inform you all. I mean, you can ask if you want. Maybe they'll tell you. But like I don't see any obligation to do that unless like they, if if this Twitch streamer wants to, they can. I don't know. Like I, this, I, I, it's just an alien world to me. I guess. I don't know. I don't care. I don't, I, who who cares what what they're playing it on? I mean, like, other- I th- you know, I'm a huge Dark Souls. You know, I'm a huge Dark Souls fan, yeah. and I play all those games. And like, you know, if someone were if they put an easy mode in those games, great. I won't use it, but it's, you know, at least someone might be able to get see through the get through the game. Like I think. Even if you don't get through the game in terms of like challenge or blah, 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 like I think most of the art in those games is worth seeing. The boss designs are worth seeing. Like, I'd be great if someone could get through Bloodborne and just see all the stuff in that game and not have to like, you know, make it a second job to get good enough to get through it. Like, I don't, that doesn't bother me at all because I still did it on normal or whatever they have it on. Um, as long as I don't have to play it on easy, who cares? I think the other thing that really strikes me about this, Matt, is that. <clears throat> living in this kind of cult of personality-driven game coverage that we're in right now. And a lot of people go to these streamers not because they're great at games or, in a lot of cases, even what game they're playing. They go there because of who they are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The fact of you know their personality, their the way they look at games, maybe the way they play games, not necessarily because of how difficult yeah. they are, but how they approach how they play them. Things or how like they that. react to them or that kind of thing. You know, I mean, that's what PewDiePie's whole thing is based on is him reacting to games. Right. Like, that was that was the where it all started. And I feel like um, people who are speedrunners, like you know that going in that they're a speedrunner. And sure, yeah. like those type of people, if they're saying, okay, I'm trying to break the record for hard mode on blah, blah, blah game, then sure, you want to make sure that they're playing on hard. But if these if you're talking about streamers that you just hang out with, yeah, as they play a game, and it's more about just, like yeah, just someone that's playing a game, and you're having like a weird parasocial relationship with them. Like, who gives a shit? Like, unless they're claiming they're playing on very hard, and they're actually playing on easy, which would be pretty simple to suss out if you watch it for ten minutes, probably. Why do you think people are getting so bent out of shape over this, Matt? I don't know. Like it was, it's not a it, it, like every time I see this, it's, it kind of surprises me all over again. I don't, I don't know why anyone cares. I don't either. I, it's completely foreign to me. Why someone would give a crap about what difficulty setting someone's playing a game on. Unless they're doing it intentionally to say, I'm playing this on hard. Come watch me play this on hard. Or I'm trying to set a record with this speed run on a certain difficulty setting or whatever. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't get it. But there's a lot I don't get <laughs> these yeah. days, to be perfect. I mean, there's, there's a, if, if, if you want to talk about all the things I don't understand about people, how people behave online, we'll be here all day. <laughs> That's a good point. I think I'm right there with you, actually. It just becomes more and more confusing to me. Um, do you think some people are just in denial of, over why they watch some streamers? I think some people are just assholes. Yeah. I <laughs> like, saw that in Jaffe's thing. I was like, wow. <laughs> some people. Like, I'm sure, sure some of it is just like, you know, those people aren't there to, because they like that streamer. They're just there to harass somebody. Yeah. That's probably not a coincidence that a lot of the streamers getting this are women. That's true. That's a good point. And you're right. It, it seemed like Polygon wrote a big feature about it, and it seemed like most of the streamers were women, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and there might be a little bit of jealousy there where people are like, oh, look at all these people that are showing up for her stream, and 
I get two viewers or whatever. I think there's also a little bit of just in general on Twitch, people who are a little envious of female streamers if they don't feel like they're really good at playing games. I think there's a segment of the Twitch audience who believes that to be successful on Twitch, you should be at good at games. And I also believe mm-hmm. that that same group of people are the people who believe that if you're going to review games, you should be very good at games. I remember the guy from Venture Beat who got like all ripped into not that long ago because he was playing like Cuphead and they captured footage of him playing Cuphead and he was like terrible at it and people Yeah, that was Dean Takahashi. Dean Takahashi, right. Yeah, yeah. you can get past the how they teach you with the part where they teach you to jump. Yeah. And um, uh, he got lit up for that. For mm-hmm. he's, people still bring it up all. Remember, this time. Dean, Dean is also the one who, uh, uh, but it's kind of the reverse. But he reviewed the first Mass Effect without realizing you could level up. Right. So he <laughs> he finished Mass Effect one without on at level one. Like no Which, like, skills, no upgrades, do, no like nothing. If they tried. <laughs> Like that's a hard run. That's a that's like I'll that's not easy to, him, to do. Man. So I will hand it to him on that one. But yeah, I just I just think this is again the the worst parts of our community bubbling up to the surface again. Um, and then mm. I would argue that some outlets are providing you know a platform for these people, and this is what they want. Like mm-hmm. you know they want attention. They're probably lonely, don't get a lot of attention, and they're looking for it. And then when you write articles like this, I feel like it kind of draws attention to them. It's kind of like. You know, the mass shooters, you know, like their faces end up on TV and a lot of them, that's what they wanted. They they didn't care about whether they lived or died. And they're like, yeah. I might as well do something so that I'll be infamous and people will remember me because otherwise yeah. they don't remember me at all. Infamy, party of one. Your table is ready. Yeah. Infamy, party and of one. the press would do a lot better to not amplify these people, both in gaming and when you're talking about people who go and shoot. Yeah, it's it's or- a weird balance of like, do you want to you want to report on sort of you know this like weird behavior, this bullying behavior that's happening, but at the same time, it's like you don't want to give it oxygen either. Yeah, it's a hard um, balance to walk because there also is a level of shame, right? And you wonder if. The shame that's brought on their families maybe might keep people from doing this. Like there may be some people. No. That, yeah. <laughs> These people. I mean, have who knows? No there might be people with. out there that aren't doing this stuff that aren't doing it because they're afraid to bring shame upon somebody that you know may be associated with them. I don't know, but there's there are layers to it, like an onion. It's not a very cut and dry. I mean, you're talking about psychology here, really, is what it comes down to, mm-hmm. and it's something like that's very nuanced and it's not black and white. So. Um, bottom line is I agree with you. Like in general, I just don't think you should give these people a platform. Um, cause that's what they're looking for is attention. Like the people who are spamming Jaffe's stream the other day when he's doing the interview, it's just like, what is, what's this goal? What's the goal here? They want someone to be like, Hey mods ban, blah, 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 or whatever. And people go, Oh, that blah, blah, blah is a jerk. And this people pay. I mean, it's sad that there are people that are so bereft of attention from anyone else that that's kind of what they've become. Um, it really is. And right now with the, you know, the lockdowns and everything, it just makes it worse, I think. So it's a slippery slope, but I think ultimately not projecting the signal is probably the best bet overall. Um, yeah. When you're talking about play, play games on whatever the hell difficulty you want. And uh, above all, exactly. Play games on whatever difficulty you want. Feel no shame for it. Don't whatever let you have fun playing it. on play that. Yep. Yep. 
Or you can just make entertainment out of playing it on a on a difficulty level. You should. Yeah, be I mean, Jeff Green did just fine being terrible at Dark Souls for as as basically a streaming career. So yeah, you, I mean, that was really his whole streaming career was I suck at Dark Souls. Watch me play and laugh at me. Yeah, so, and I've done a little I mean, bit of that myself. Yeah, so. we've gotten some mileage out of that ourselves. So. <laughs> I absolutely have. You got to be self-deprecating though and willing to take the abuse because. Even when I was doing it, there are some people that just roll in and they're like, oh, my God, this guy's an idiot or this guy sucks. <laughs> like, you can't protect yourself. Like, there's no way to tell people, I know I suck, so don't make fun of me. That's the point. I suck at this. Like, some people are always going to roll in and be jerks, but you just got to let it roll off your back. So there you go. Don't feel any shame for playing on easy mode. We're not going to hate on you for it, that's for sure. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about the Metroidvania that Matt hinted at a little bit earlier. Hmm. Um, no shortage of these uh, games in the genre. Um, no, thankfully, uh, the indie game boom has really uh, populated the world with a lot of Metroidvanias. So even though yep. Konami apparently doesn't want to make Castlevania anymore and Nintendo forgot Metroid turns 35 this year, yeah. we still have the genre to play through people who grew up loving those games and decided if if they're not going to do it, we'll do it ourselves. Now, this one I'm going to have to read the title of. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And I may say actually one of the words incorrectly. Record of, is it Lodos or Lodos? Lodos. Okay, Record of Lodos War, Deedlit in Wonder Labyrinth. It just yep. came out like about a week ago, or actually less yeah. than a week ago. Yeah, a good week or so ago. Um, it, it, uh, I think it was, or maybe it was more recently. I think it came out last, like, Within the last week. It was in early access for quite a while. It was in early access for a long time. I bought it like... Because they, when they announced it was going to go 1.0, like come out of early access in April, they put it on like deep sale, decently deep, deep sale with uh, the other game that they'd made, which is a, a Toho shoot 'em up. Uh, so I bought it then and I waited to play it until it went 1.0, basically. Um, so I think I think it was 12 bucks when I bought it. I think it's 19 full price or 20 bucks full price. Yeah, it's 20 bucks so, on Steam right now. So this is a Metroidvania. I mean, really, it's a Symphony of the Night clone. Um, uh, that's based on an old anime called Record of Lodos War. And it's also um, like a novel. And it was a novel. It was a manga. It was a, it, it, it's a franchise. A tabletop I mean, game too, right? Uh, it was original. It's it, the manga and anime from back in the eighties were based on a tabletop D and D campaign that the creators played. Uh, so they basically made a made they made an anime out of their D and D campaign. Um, which also makes this probably the closest to a D&D anime there's ever been. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. And this is a basically a fan game uh, starring Deedlet, who's the high elf character. Uh, the other characters are also in the game as non-player characters. And uh, it takes place after the show, after the main story. And she wakes up in this labyrinth and doesn't know what the hell. And uh, her, the other characters keep popping up and being weird and enigmatic towards her. And one of the villains is there, and she's like, uh, "Ha ha ha, we're gonna do a thing." And he's like, she's like "What's gonna What's gonna happen?" She's like, oh, "Okay, just keep going." Okay, so and like, there's basically that's what's happening. You're you're in a, a labyrinth, and you don't know why, and you just got to keep going to figure out what's happening and how to get out of it. And your friends, for some reason, are not helping you because it's a Castlevania game, and they can't. <laughs> you can't do that. So um, th- this is, and when I say this is Symphony of the Night clone, I mean like D Blitz animations might be plagiarism. <laughs> like, like they it, actually like, just stole She them. moves exactly like Alucard in like the run cycles the same, the capes the same, the jump looks the same. Like there's a, uh, she has a back dash. It looks very similar. Like she might just be a modified Alucard sprite. I'm not sure. 
if not, it's taken very, very seriously from the same template. Um, and uh, it, it feels like it feels like it like if you you know if you like how Symphony of the Night feels to play, you will love this game. It feels exactly the same for the most part. Uh, it has a, it has some tweaks here and there though. Um, so there's a lot of systems happening in it. Uh, it. It has the same sort of like you can equip armor and you can equip different weapons, and you have like the four face buttons. Uh, so you have like an attack with your sword or your whatever you equip. You know, there's axes and spears and lances and whatever you want. I use and swords. A bow. And a bow is the bow is uh, your distance attack. That's the Y button. I've, I also might have solves moved. a lot of puzzles. The bow. Yes. The, so the bow, the arrows ricochet off metal parts of the walls. So you have to do a lot of angling stuff to sort of bounce them off around like, the whole room and then cut a rope and it'll drop a door and then you can get through. That's how you get to a lot of the bonus items early on. Um, that's really fun. Like it's, they don't really guide you on that. You still got to figure it out. And like getting through that, those, those things was, a, was a lot of fun to me. I really like that, especially because the arrows aren't limited in, um, and you like you don't have a number of arrows. You have oh, to keep picking good. up arrows for ammo. Thank it God. just uses your magic bar, uh, okay. and your magic bar replenishes. And then so there's another system with um, you pick up a sylph sprite, uh, like a wind sprite, and a fire sprite, and you can switch between them. And the trick, if you look in the, I can't see the B roll, but if you look in the middle of the like the little like life bar setup thing up top, you'll see like two little like half you know quarter circle bars that should yep. have like a one or whatever next to them. So those are the bars for the elements. The sylph, the the sylph uh, power, and the uh, and the and the 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 fire one, the salamander one, yep. and you uh, you can switch between those with the uh, the right bumper whenever you want, and they give you the power of each element, and it's it's uh, basically when you kill an enemy, you get like you get um, cubes of the opposite element and that will fill up the little half, the little quarter circle bar, and it has three levels, and once you get to level three of the sylph. Um, you get uh, you your health regenerates, and once you get to maximum on the fire, your magic regenerates when you switch to that. And uh, the way what happened, and so that's a really powerful advantage. Uh, if you get hit, you lose a level in whatever the opposite the the whatever the equipped element is, and you got to build it back up. And then it further the care the enemies you fight uh, have um, uh, tendencies towards the elements. And you can run into, you know, uh, an L a character, uh, an enemy that is so fire oriented that if you have fire equipped, you can't hurt them. Uh, similarly, water would be the counter. Right. So you switch to water and that'll hurt them a lot more. So like there, there's a, there's a that one part of the strategy of the game is figuring out which element you need to use and how that, you know, which one like is going to hurt the enemy the most. But then you also like when you, you can only do, you don't get a double jump in the game you get to be able to float but you can only float when you have the sylph activated because it's the wind spirit so it once you switch to the fire uh spirit you can no longer float is it easy and intuitive to switch between all this stuff yeah okay. it's it's instant and as a matter of fact uh, the other thing that, that that it does uh is there are um like elemental chains and doors and and walls that are made up of water and fire or whatever and you can uh, you have to get through them and you get through them by switching to that element and periodically you have to run through like shifting ones that you have to switch really quickly and um that works just fine like okay. it's it's uh, it's it you, you, early on you'll you, it'll be a little Early on, I was a little shaky about how, like, oh, if I get hit, I lose a level, and I'm not ready for that. I didn't know that was going to happen, and I got to go build it back up. But eventually, it kind of all flows pretty naturally, and it's fine. Um, 
And then you have a backdash, just like Alucard does. Uh-huh. Uh, it kind of leaves like a, an after image. That's how you get away from, um, you know, in, you know, enemy like charge attacks and that kind of thing. Um, it all works pretty well. Map, it looks like. Yeah, it's exactly like Castlevania. Um, it is. Uh, I'm not done with the game, but I think I'm getting there. Like it's. I think it's pretty short. Like okay. it's like ten hours maybe, which is not. I'm not saying it's How long a have short you played game. It now? So far, do you think? Um, I want to say I'm like probably five hours in. Okay. Um, I did get a lot stuck of a couple of times. Some, but you, you can get, there are like uh, portals that can teleport you around the whole map. So it's not that, oh. it, well, if you know where you need to go, like by, you know, you look at the, you look at Castlevania, you look at the map. Yep. I got a new thing. I see that there's a block there that I haven't explored that part of the thing. I'm just going to teleport as close as I can and go see if that's where I can go now. And it works out pretty well. Now are the door um, like in the map or the doors like color coded? So, you know, yeah. like what ability you need to open the door and yeah, the different, the different door types uh, tend to have color coding on them. Um, and usually it's just like, you know, like I found, you found like a particular power and you open, you can open the lock on this one door and then all the doors with that kind that color lock are now open to you. Okay. Um, it's a pretty so game. It's, uh, I like the, I like the visuals a lot. Yeah, it looks great. Like the visuals are re- really well done. Um, like it's beautiful kind of 32 bit era pixel art, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, Symphony Knight, obviously the big, the big, uh, influence here. I am a fan of record of Lotus war from back in the day. So it, this is really cool that somebody took this and did this with it. Um, do you think uh, if someone needs to understand anything from that to enjoy the game? No. Okay. No. Not at all. Like it looks like the storytelling is pretty much just text bubbles. Is that right? Yeah, it's just text bubble, bubbles, and like there's some references like, oh, it's Parn or it's whoever, or it's Slain, and every you know, if you know the characters from this thing, you're gonna be like, oh, these that guy, I remember that. Mm-hmm. But if not, it's just like he's an enigmatic weirdo in a robe, and okay. get on with it. You know, it's, it's fine. Like there, at no point of you know, it's a pretty standard sort of fantasy, you know, fight your way through a thing story. It's not particularly deep in the lore as far as I would say. Looks like plentiful save points too. Oh yeah. Tons of save points. Um, it's very, you know, get all your health and everything back every time you do that. It's very, it's very generous. It's not a hard game. I wouldn't say, um, unless you happen to get stuck and forget where a door was or something and uh-huh. you don't remember that's the direction you had to go. Um, but in general, it's pretty linear for a game like this. I would say like, I haven't really lost my way much. Um, it's definitely more linear than like Symphony of the Night or like your average Metroid. Um, it doesn't tell you where to. It doesn't tell you where to go, really. But there's nowhere else to go. Uh, okay. I guess would be how I'd say. It's like you don't run into a situation where there's like three different directions to go and you got to pick one. Um, like you know, like in some of the, some of these games, like you can go down like a way, like a one way. You can oh, I got three different ways I can go. I'm gonna go this way, and you go down that. It's like ten minutes later, you hit a point where like oh, this I'm I, I don't have the skill for this. I got to yep. go all the way back. Yep. Like that doesn't really ha- if you can't go a certain way, you are going to run into that roadblock probably in one or two screens. Okay, at least for my so so on one hand it's simpler. On the other hand, less frustrating uh, depending on your perspective. And it's twenty bucks, and it's only twenty PC, bucks only PC right now. Uh, yeah, I think it's the only because I think it's just like a kind of a glorified fan game. Wow, like, pretty I, impressive I, for a fan game. Um, like I don't even I don't even know if it's officially licensed. I guess it must be it has uh, licensed. They wouldn't be able to um, use the name and sell it. But uh, I don't think I don't know if it started as official. I think it became that when when the license holders saw how good it was. Have they announced um, it for any other platforms at this point? Not that I know of. Okay. Uh, it would be great to see it come to like Switch or something. Like it's it's uh it's a it's a natural fit for that kind of thing. 
Do you feel like um, you got your money's worth out of it? Would you recommend? Yeah, pick absolutely. It up? Like it's, I mean, don't expect it to be like the, you know, like Symphony of the Night is because it's so similar to Symphony of the Night. I think there's a tendency, a, a temptation to think of it as like, oh, it must be like a second quest, an upside down castle. And it is a, it's not like that. It's a pretty straightforward kind of a 10 hour ish game, I would say. Um, but it's 20 bucks and like, it is the, you know, there's been a lot of Metroidvanias, but this is the one that makes me feel like I'm playing an expansion to Symphony of the Night. And like, whether you consider that a good thing or a bad thing is kind of up to you. Um, it's so slavishly similar to Symphony of the Night that I find it kind of weirdly nostalgic. That might also be because I, you know, watched the anime when I was like 12. Yeah. Um, and it's cool to see these characters in this thing um, and done in this sort of art style. But like, I really like it. Um, it's, uh, it looks good it, for sure. It's, it it's one of the only forward than a lot of other Metroidvanias. Yeah. There's no deceit in this game. It is a straightforward Metroidvania Castlevania Symphony Night clone. And it has no apologies to make for that. Like it is, ex you, you're getting exactly what you see here. Okay. And if you think that looks cool, uh, you're going to like it. Okay. So that's re record of Lodos war. Deedlit in Wonder Labyrinth for PC yes. only, twenty bucks, and you can get it now. It was in. It was weird how they worked with this game because it, weren't they releasing it in like levels, like one level at a time, or something yeah, it like was that? like chunks. They were yeah. doing chunks of it, basically, like a chunk up to a certain boss would be sort of how they'd go as they went. Um, but now, obviously, it's not a problem. It's all it's all done. Yep. Um, I didn't play it, but when it was in early access, just because that sounded really frustrating to me to only get pieces of yeah. a Metroidvania. Um, and that kind of, this kind of game I would rather, I would rather play when it's done polished as best it can be. I hardly ever go down the early access trail where they're yeah. putting out chunks of something. Like I always wait until there's like that 1.0 release before I die. Yeah. That's, stuff. it's usually what I do. I mean, one of the few exceptions recently has been, uh, Baldur's Gate 3, mm. which yeah. I just couldn't wait for. Couldn't resist. Yeah. But also that one's a little, in a little more of a more of a state than your average early access. You know, that's, that's, I mean, obviously there's a lot of work to do and they're releasing new classes and there's a lot of polish to do, but like you could be forgiven for playing Baldur's Gate 3's early access and thinking it's a finished first act of something, you know? Yep. Um, it's not the usual, it's not like Hades where Hades became basically a different game over, over the time. course of early access. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go, 20 bucks. Uh, if you're looking for something to play and you might be because it is dry as a bone mm -hmm. right now, that's probably a pretty good option. Uh, all right, our last topic for episode 251, we're going to return to the Epic versus Apple topic because the court case is coming up, Matt. Did you realize it's the court? this is all going to court on May 3rd? It's finally happening. And mm. because the court case is about to begin, the discovery process, essentially the, the process where they share their information with each other has now become public. So... We now have a good idea of what each side is going to argue, and we also have a good idea of what the facts are from each side's perspective. Um, for those of you who don't know what's going on, essentially Epic is suing Apple because Apple is taking a 30% cut of all Fortnite sales. Epic doesn't think that that's right. It says that Apple has a monopoly on iOS and there's no com competition. Um, Epic had tried to go around the App Store and have these customers go directly to it on iOS. Apple caught wind of it, cut it off. The court case kicked mm -hmm. off. Um, Matt and I generally have been on the side of Apple. If you talk to Pactor, Pactor has generally been on the side of Epic. Um, but what happened this week is in the course of the discovery, we learned a lot of things about Epic Game Store. And 
It's pretty interesting, but Matt, I think what really bore out is that we were right all along on what was going on with Epic Game Store. So Epic Game Store just gives away tons of games, just gives them away. In fact, if you go to Epic's Game Store right now, I can pretty much guarantee there's a game there that you can just download for free simply yeah. by signing up They're for the service. Thing. I guarantee you there's something there. There might even be two or three games there that you can get for free. And I would add, probably not bad games either. Epic has been pretty good about making games for free on their service that are actually worth playing. Um, uh, well, the current free game is a game called Three Out of Ten Season Two. Okay, I have no well, idea what that I is. Maybe I was wrong on that one. <laughs> maybe the times have changed over the last couple months. It could very well be. Uh, next week looks like we're. Was it next week? No, on the fifteenth we get Deponia: The Complete Journey and the Pillars of the Earth. Okay. And the first they're going very indie this week. It seems. But they have had big games available for free and some big indie games as well. Generally, oh, yeah. I've been pretty impressed with the free games I've got from there because I've never spent a penny on Epic's games, Epic Game Store, and I have, like, 40 games there. So Yeah, I got a pretty impressive library in there, too. Um, and so it's really hard to complain about Epic Game Store, in my opinion. Uh, I'm just getting free games from them, like, every week. Uh, but what we've learned in the discovery process is that all of this comes with at a price, and a big price. Um, if you do the math, and I have tons of figures here um, from Epic Game Store. I'm not going to go through all of them, but if you do the math, basically at this point... Epic has lost $330 million just on the guarantees alone that it owes game developers and game publishers, whoever owns the IP and the rights to make money off of these games. It has lost $330 million in two years. Um, Apple is using this um, as a sign that it's trying to, it's trying to say Epic is trying to buy its way into the industry. Epic is saying that it's using this as its... um, customer acquisition and marketing plan. So it's Epic is basically saying we lost $330 million. We don't care because it's looking at the big picture and it's saying we're trying to topple Steam. And so if we're going to topple Steam, it's going to cost us money in marketing and customer acquisition, and that's what this is all Mm -hmm. about. Matt, were you going to spend money to make money, boys. Yeah, I mean, that is true. Um, I've learned that with Sifted, to be perfectly honest with you. I wish I had more money to spend to make money with Sifted. Um, Matt, did this surprise you at all? No, I think that's, it seems kind of an inevitable conclusion when you look at what's happening here. Um, here's some interesting stuff. It's nice to put a number on it. Yeah. Like, I think we knew that they were losing a ton of money. I think 330 but, million was a little higher than I thought they were. They were. Yeah, I would have guessed probably closer to the 200 range. Maybe um, even less than that, to be honest with you. Uh, that's a lot of money, but I guess if you think about the stakes, which is taking over the digital PC gaming market from Steam, mm. the payoff is astronomical. So $330 million. Imagine how many companies you could found on $330 million. Yeah. That's insane. And that's just what they've lost. Like, that, that's not how much they've spent. That's how much they've lost. So let's see. So far, Epic has had a, over 100 exclusivity deals in two years. They spent $444 million in 2020 alone. Those games have to stay off Steam for a full year. That's part of We're learning all these deals, like the details of the deals that Epic has been cracking with publishers. I could make 3,000 short films for that amount of Matt, money. Matt, it's, it's staggering. <laughs> Any game that it signs one of these deals with has to stay off Steam for a year. Um, Epic paid $10.4 million for control. Are you surprised by that at all? In any way. Mm. 
lower or higher than you thought it would be? That's about that feels about right. Yeah. I mean, in the in if you have the the uh, so was that like when it launched? You mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean that feels like about right for what you expect that to do. Seems a little low to me. It feels maybe it feels a little low, but in hindsight, it wasn't, was it? No, no, they nailed it. But it yeah. seems like back if you think about launch, even in hindsight, a little bit. If you think about it, was a game of the year contender, ten million. That's Somewhat, not much. But, but then, like you think about it, and you're like, that's you know, if you're if you're them, certainly if you're five hundred five games, you're gonna you're gonna take that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, if you're a small publisher like that and you can just put that in your pocket, I mean, that might yeah. be... I mean, that's a free 165,000 sales yeah. right there. And I mean, if you look at it, that might just be... Just on one platform. Half of what they paid for development on the game. I don't think Control was like a big budget, to be honest Probably with you. Probably not, no. Um, more data. Ep- Epic spent $700 million on Epic Game Store in 2020, but only $265 million of that actually went to the third-party games. And that's where the figures come in. If you add up all this data... Mm-hmm. It amounts to $333 million lost on the guarantees alone mm. across both years. Control's budget was $30 million. So they paid for a third. It's of, a third of your budget back right there. Yep. Here are, here are the cruxes of each side's argument. Epic argues that iOS developers, uh, they can't innovate and provide safety features they want to because Apple is taking the 30%. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Apple, <laughs> to counter that, brings up the fact that Epic Game Store is uh, not making money uh, to attack the idea that Epic does those things in the first place. Um, by its own, here's Apple's quote. By its own admission, the Epic's Game Store, two years after it launched, is still missing critical features. So it's basically saying that like Apple or Epic is spending a ton of money trying to boost Epic Game Store, but it's not actually making sure that its own product is safe because... If you remember, you probably don't remember this, but there was a huge like security <clears throat> breach with Fortnite on mm-hmm. iOS. That cost a lot of Apple's customers a lot of grief. So Apple is like, you're not keeping your business safe. Apple is trying to say that you have proven you cannot keep your customers safe. So why would we let you come onto our platform and create an unsafe environment for our customers, essentially? Um. Apple argues that... A strong point. It is a strong point. Absolutely. Um, Apple argues also that uh, Epic Game Store is a bonfire that Epic chucks money into. Um, Gamers are angry at them. And if they let them come and run wild on their platform, um, it would end up costing Apple by losing customers that otherwise it wouldn't lose. Um, Let's see. And also, Apple brings up that Epic tried to negotiate a side deal with it before it started doing all this. So it came to Apple and was like, hey, let's crack a deal. (laughs) And now it's saying, oh, you don't want to make a deal with us. We're going to sue you. Um, Also, it came out in the discovery process that Epic knew all along that when it sued Apple, that it was going to look like they were the bad guys, and they paid a PR firm $300,000 to work on that before they even made the announcement. And basically saying, how can we best message this so that we don't look as bad as we think people are going to look at us when we announce our lawsuit? Obviously, with the master plan for Epic is to launch its own store on iOS, Epic Game Store. This is the long game for Epic. 
launching Epic Games Store on iOS and charging less in royalties and being happy with getting 15%. It's basically mm-hmm. trying to do the same thing to Apple on iOS that it's trying to do to Valve on PC. Matt, how does all that sit with you? Um, does it change your perspective on this at all? It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it <laughs> works out for them. Um, I It seems... Uh, like it's in line with Epic's MO, but trying to do that inside the Apple walled garden feels hopelessly naive. Yeah. Like Apple is never going to allow that. And I don't see a way to strong arm that really. Like I like I understand the idea of taking this sort of legal action to try to like like amend or break the contract and if if the idea of setting up their own mini epic store inside the apple store is sort of like their absurd ask so they can get what they really want in the in the form of compromise or stated compromise that makes sense but if they really wanted to do that that's crazy yeah like that's not gonna happen what do you think a jury will say about this you think they'll understand the argument that we don't trust Epic? Because, look, I don't even know. That Apple probably doesn't even really believe that itself, but it's going to be its legal argument. Because Epic is going to argue that we've already done this on Epic Game Store, mm-hmm. and we have X number of customers who have spent X number of dollars, and we've had no security breaches, and all our customers are happy. They'll do some customer happiness survey. It's going to score sky high because they're giving away tons of free games. Mm-hmm. So if, it, if you go to any, any gamer... And you say, hey, do you like Epic's Game Store? And they're like, wait a minute. I have like 50 free games. Hell yeah, I like it. Five out of five, 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100. They're going to do those surveys. They may even like commission an independent survey. So it doesn't look like they're trying to jimmy the numbers. And of course, that survey is going to come out great as well. Do you think this is all set up? Giving away these free games, spending that $330 million that they lost. Do you think this is all set up for them to be able to make customers like them, create these fake this fake data that they can take to court with them that says, hey, we've learned from our mistakes. We did make a mistake on the iOS store before, but now our customers love us. We've learned from our mistakes, and this is just poor business practices from Apple. This is a monopoly. This is antitrust, which is what Pactor seems to believe. Um, or do you think the jurors are going to be like, no, like if I build something and you showed up to something I built and you trashed it with like your poor security measures – I wouldn't want you back either. Which do you think that they're gonna they're gonna believe? Um, well, first, I do not think this is some kind of. I don't think they're dumping money in the Epic Store solely to give themselves plausible deniability for people liking them so that more so they can like. I didn't say solely. Do this Apple I just think thing. it's a fringe benefit of that because they they also I mean, want to take the over Epic's, the Steam Store. Epic's whole thing is clearly very carefully orchestrated through PR, both internal and external. Um, I mean, if I'm if I'm uh, Apple's legal team on this, I would be doing my own independent use case surveys, um, basically having people use the Epic Store and use the iOS Store and having them decide what they think is a more efficient or more useful or more intuitive experience uh, and trying to separate that from the idea that you get free games uh, as a bribe, effectively. 
or bringing up the fact that you can download tons of free games on an iOS store already anyway. They're all, you know, they're all, they're all uh, microtransaction nightmares, but they are there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the same thing, but if you got people dumb enough to think that a bare bones, barely functional store like the Epic Game Store is worth it because you get free shit you can get anywhere else for a cheap price at another time, you might get people dumb enough to think that a free pay to play game after you download the free one uh, thinks is just as much of an advantage. Uh, my guess would be that you'd want to boil this down to kind of business practices more than free game practices, because that's the only thing an average jury is going to understand. Um, you, you can't educate them in terms of kind of the, the game culture. Yeah, they're not going to get it. Yeah, because you but you can certainly educate them in terms of like business security and, and web security. And Apple's argument is almost certainly just going to be we're better at this than they are. We've been doing it way longer than they have. So we don't see any reason to let a bunch of amateurs play in our space. Yeah. Um, and if Epic's going to argue that it's a monopoly, that that Apple controls that on iOS, uh, then they're going to have to make the same argument against Nintendo, Microsoft and PlayStation um, on their own consoles, because that's basically the same thing. Uh, and that is not that a thing that's going to discovery. And I, forgot to paste it into my notes. Um, that is not a thing that's going to hold up under scrutiny. Um, so my question ends up becoming, what is Epic really expecting to get out of this? Because it feels like they're asking for the moon so that when they get denied that, they can get what they really want as part of a stated compromise. But what is it they want? I mean, probably 20% cut. Yeah, I mean, you want to, I mean, theoretically, you know, what they probably want is an amendment to that contract so they get a better deal like right. that's what they're after but apple and knows it, that if it does that that opens up pandora's box because then everybody every other else, client right. that works on the ios store is going to be like wait a minute now. why why don't we get that deal it's right it would be a mess a total disaster and so in the meantime epic is asking for basically something ridiculous uh in the hopes that they can gain enough ground uh that apple might think they might not win handily and come to the negotiating table again um what Will do you that think is going to happen? I don't know. It is really, um, it's a tough that's one. Gonna, some of that's going to come down to needing to take the temperature of the judge and the jury. Yeah. Um, as, and depends like how your argument's going to go. Um, uh, you may, hard, I, I mean, do you think it's hard I, to I argue feel like, that it's not I feel like novel. Apple has the advantage here uh, from a business standpoint, or at least from a kind of a legal business standpoint. Uh, the only like weak, weak spot I see is like what Epic is arguing feels so absurd that it might, come back around and sound kind of revolutionary and then you start to it starts to have sort of an appeal to it um or but that's going to really so complicated depend. and convoluted that right. no jurors reject it there's a little bit of chewbacca defense to it yeah um i don't i feel like that hasn't worked too well in the recent recent cases uh in even in far more high profile situations um like I really don't know. Like my my instinct as someone who comes from a family of legal people is that um, Epic is going to look kind of silly trying to make that case, but they might just expect that and want to get a better deal out of it because Apple doesn't want to go through the process of seeing this to the end. I don't 
I feel like well, they Apple's might be under. Be they might be under. I think they're probably underestimating Apple's tenaciousness on that. I think they picked the wrong the wrong person to try to bully into something. <laughs> this, I mean, this is uh, this feels a little bit like you know you you when the, you know on your first week in prison you pick the biggest guy and beat the shit out of him, right? And establish you know establish your dominance. Um, that seems to be what they're doing with Apple here. Apple's thirty um, percent. I have a hard like time believing. I have a hard time believing it's going to work. I, I really have a hard time believing it's going to work, especially after reading this these discovery documents. And you can find those. Uh, they're linked to the story that's on Sifted right now. There's a PDF that has all of it. You can read it for yourself. I just copied and pasted some of the more important stuff out of those to just kind of frame the discussion for you guys. Um, but after reading that stuff, I really have a problem. I think the biggest problem for Epic is that it's too hard to explain its position for the average person to understand it. And I think Apple's is very simple. We built this. We keep it safe. They made it unsafe. We don't want them in it. Mm-hmm. I think anyone can understand that. And I think when you start talking, if you're epic and you start talking about, hey, we have this other thing, and that seems to be going pretty good, and we talked to all these people who said that they really liked it, and we haven't really messed up for a while, but, yeah, we did mess up that one. Like, I kind of live by this thing when I talk to people. If someone tries to explain something to me, and it takes more than, like, 30 or 45 seconds to explain it. It's probably bullshit. Like, that's how I am. Like I, mm-hmm. And I think human nature is when someone tells you a story and you get to, like, that 45-second mark, you just start to zone out and you start to tune them out. And I think that with juries is really important. Yeah. Well, and- that's, that's, uh, when, that was like Lewis Black said. He's, he's like, it's like the, my rule is if, if you have a company and you can't say in one sentence what it does – it's illegal. You guys mean you're doing something shadier. You're trying to shade the story in one way or another to make it look appealing for you. And I think when you mm-hmm. get to juries, man, they're not gamers. You may have one gamer on that jury, maybe. Um, and they're not. And even if that juror goes into deliberations and tries to explain it to everybody else, they're going to be like, bro, like you're way overcomplicating this. Like I. I struggle to think that Epic will win this case. I really do. Yeah. And again, well, I also was... remember that you can get rid of jurors for any reason. Right. You can both, eliminate both, the on both sides. If you want to. And you can, and, and, you know, Apple's lawyers will want to get people that are, uh, you know, less game culture savvy yep. as best they can. Yep. It's going to be interesting, though. The case does start on the third. So in just a few weeks, um, we probably won't talk about this again until it's over. I will say this, though, Matt. If Apple wins this case, you might want to buy some stock. <laughs> you might want to buy some stock now anyway um, and just keep a real close eye on this case. And if things start to go in south, maybe sell it. But if they win the case, their stock is going to spike like big time. Because you got to remember, Matt, Apple's going to fight tooth and nail for this. This is Apple's lifeblood. That mm-hmm. 30% cut, you got to realize if, this, if Epic wins that case, it's a snowball, man. They're going to lose 30% of one of their biggest revenue streams. Like, Apple's going to fight tooth and nail for this. And I'm sure Epic will, too, because Epic is like this expanding empire. And I think it views, like, the Mm -hmm. iOS 30% cut as a hurdle to expanding that empire. So Yeah, I just think that... um... You know, the, the, the Epic has to want them to come to the negotiating table. They aren't expecting to win this, because if you do win this, it's kind of an absurd ask. And if you do win this... You're opening a massive can of worms in terms of precedent and and sort of corporate practice, um, which in the end could be good for the consumers. But um, in general, the courts are not there to protect the consumers. Uh, they're there to enforce what already exists as the status quo. 
and you can't really get much more status quo than the Apple store. So, yeah. And Apple's other argument too, against them being a monopoly is that there's Android. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're not a monopoly. There's, there's no way to argue that. Yeah. Like there's, it's, it's an absurd claim. Um, the only way you can argue is that they have a monopoly on iPhones, I guess, but that's called having a product that's that successful. Yeah. Like, it's like saying Sony has a monopoly on PlayStations. It's yep. like, well, I mean, technically, <laughs> sure. But like, and I think, but, you know, you're right. They are going to point to, and I wish I could remember what Epic's counter argument was to the Nintendo uh, PlayStation and Xbox stores. It does have like something it's trying to stand on for that, but I can't remember what it is, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I, I, I skimmed some of that. I don't remember what it was. I, mean, I don't know what it could be other than it's like, some heavy like reading. Them. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. Going through that PDF, I was like, my eyes were starting to cross. Like, I mean, part of, of it would be like, well, we like Sony because they gave us money. For investment recently, they and they wish it did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it still only owns like one point four percent or something of Epic. Ten cent yeah. is forty percent though, and they gave them a lot of money. So anyway, that's the latest update. On... Might be some of that in play too, because I'm sure Ten Cent would like to take a chunk out of Apple if they could. Absolutely. Yep. Because yeah, I mean, think about how much Apple's making off of Ten Cent. Yeah. Yep. And they may be, yeah. I mean, there's, it's it's big business. Oh like, yeah, like like you say, business. like the chain reaction of that renegotiating of that deal. Even if they didn't win the case, they just got them to come to the table and change the percentage. Then you know, imagine all the products that Tencent net then comes up to. It's like we want to change our contract for all of this shit. And look, I like, wouldn't even be surprised if Apple, like under the table, had, does have deals with some publishers where they're like, you know what, you're making us a lot of money. We'll cut you to twenty five or whatever. Here and there, yeah. And yeah. Epic may know that, or but Tencent Epic may know that. Epic just approached it all the wrong way. It like just went after the throat, and Apple's like, uh-uh. Like, oh, you think you're messing with, buddy? I got a big mm-hmm. baseball bat, and I'm not afraid to swing it. So, we'll see. The I mean, strange. You know, sometimes there have been victory. You know, Microsoft went through a similar thing and had to had to step down a little bit because of it back in the '90s. Yep. And the two thousand the Windows Windows monopoly right. thing. Yep. Um, I don't feel like this is a particularly good analog for that situation. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, that was a period. Like Microsoft, was one, like of the, iOS, Microsoft so. was one of the biggest investors in Apple, specifically because Apple being their quote-unquote competition kept them from being a monopoly. Right. Yeah. Um, they needed them to be there. <laughs> yeah. That's so why crazy. Bill Gates was one of uh, Apple. You know, he would show up at all the Apple things with Steve Jobs yeah. and yep. like, Introduce products and say Windows, Windows, Microsoft Word is going to be on Apple and everything. It's like dirty pool. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. All right, it's time to wrap up the show with some Q and A. Uh, see if you guys have any questions in here already. I don't think my uh, verbal cues were quite as obvious that we were wrapping up the show this time, but we're already over time, so <clears throat> we can't talk too much. But we're gonna. We'll answer at least a few questions from you guys if you have some. Also, a reminder. Before we get out of the show, don't forget this Saturday, Ask Shane Anything, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. If you if you pledge $7 or more per month, go to our Patreon on Saturday. Um, there will be a link there to the Zoom call along with the password so you guys can get in the Zoom call. And we'll spend at least an hour talking before I go get my first vaccine. I'm pretty excited about that if you can't, if you can't tell. Um, let's see if we got some questions here. Uh, Justin Horman, thank you for Twitch Prime. Appreciate it, bro. Here's one from Commander Fett. What do you think of the rumor that Microsoft is looking to buy Discord? Do you think they'll let them continue as they are and just give them more money? I have no idea why Microsoft would want to buy Discord. None. 
Like, I could understand maybe Nintendo, because Nintendo has no voice chat, and, like, Discord can kind of do that for you, but Microsoft, I have no clue. Why do you think Microsoft wants to buy Discord, Matt? I don't know. I don't know up. what that gets them. What does it do for them? Like, I guess free advertising to everyone that does uses it? I don't. What else would it be? I don't... I mean, Microsoft already has a messaging service. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I'm clueless as to why it wants to do it. Um, if I mean, it it's just like it, we own popular thing, I guess. I, I'm, they're collecting successful toys, companies. I don't, I don't know. know. It seems weird. Um, if they did buy it, would they leave it alone? I think they would. Mostly, yeah. Microsoft does seem to leave, pretty much buy things that are successful and let them continue to do what they do for yep. the most part. Yeah. So I would think they would leave them alone um, because, again, they already have their own messaging service. I I have wo- I've wondered about this ever since it was like rumored. I was like, this mm-hmm. doesn't add up. Like Microsoft has much other things it should spend its money on. Like buy another great studio. Like I don't get it. I don't know what they're doing. Um, here's one from Toast nine one six X. Is Jim Ryan and Herman Hulse the right leadership for PlayStation? The recent corporate shakeup doesn't seem to be paying off very well. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because the guy from from Ben's studio, talked about both of these guys, and he liked them both, despite him leaving Sony Bend, in part because, tangentially, decisions that Sony's made about the studio. He said that he thought Herman was very impressive, and that he has sat in meetings with him where he felt inspired by him. And he said when he first heard that he was kind of stepping up into a leadership role, he didn't know him, but he'd only known what he had done in interviews he had seen you know, from when he was just a developer, and I've actually interviewed him many, many times. He never struck me as that type of a person, but you know, obviously I was wrong because he—he he, Joe disagrees with me. He feels like he is a great leader. He feels like he does inspire people. He said he saw it with his own two eyes. So apparently Mr. Hurst is quite the orator whenever he's in front of his reports. Um, Jim Ryan, I mean, I think if you want to understand our impression of Jim Ryan, you should just look at that whole hour-long discussion we had at the beginning of the show about Sony. I mean, that really is just a reflection of him, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I don't really think about him much, but I think Sony is more of a monolith. Yeah, Yeah, we kind of also mentioned during that topic that Sony isn't really kind of this company that has a figurehead anymore. It never really did have one or hasn't had one for a while at least. Yeah, and even when it did, you always felt like you were being – fed a, a line more than talked to by a person. Yeah. Yep. And I'd agree with that. Like, the, you know, they've had like Leighton and a few other people who have mm-hmm. been like people that presented stuff on stage. Yeah. Like Leighton and Trenton and, and, uh, Harrison and, uh, um, Ridge racer, Ridge racer. Yeah. <laughs> like that. We saw how well that went. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, you know, Cerny is always there when they first start debuting hardware, and then he disappears. So um, we talked all about, you know, being faceless like Nintendo is right now and the pluses and minuses of that. So I think mm. we kind of answered all that stuff already. Um, next I don't know. Up. Like, even, even Ka- I mean, Kaz was was a, a nice dude and, and funny at times, but, like, all of Sony's front men have always kind of felt like watching your button down, like uptight dad, try to act like he's fun in front of your friends. <laughs> oh, he also had, I'll also say this too. Um, he had lots of good things to say about Sean Layden. Mm-hmm. Like lots of really good things. He said that he's the type of guy that he would listen to you talk for five minutes and then he'd say one sentence that put everything in perspective. So 
I mean, I'll say this. He's leaving. Great. He left graciously. He wasn't like burning mm. bridges and that may be strategic. Yeah. Well, I was like, just because someone's not electrifying on the stage, doesn't mean they're not good at their job. Right. Yeah, you know, like you got to remember, that's not that's not their not job. Their job. <laughs> it's not like they spend 40 hours a week just giving speeches and like giving presentations and presenting decks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's just a side product of being in a position of power there. So um, Jeff Ross is very gracious to pretty much Sony in general. I felt like Jaffe was trying to goad him on a little bit. It actually kind of got a little heavy handed after a while. Um, but I think a lot of them, <laughs> they just, you know, he's at actually at Netherrealm now. Joe is. He already mm-hmm. has a new job. But I think a big part of it, too, is that the industry is much smaller than you think. Um, like, for instance, like, just the world in general is smaller than you think. Like, one time, my wife and I, we were in uh, New Orleans, and we were at a bar having a drink, and some guy came up and sat next to us. He's like, oh, where you guys are from? I'm like, oh, we're from L.A. He's like, oh, where you live in L.A.? I told him, like, exactly where we live, and he's like, oh. He's like, that stretch in front of your place there, he's like, the cops always sit there and run a speed trap. And I was like, uh, <laughs> he's right. They run a speed trap in front of our place all the time. This guy knew that, like, it's, the world isn't as big as you think, and the gaming industry is way smaller than you think. Absolutely. Uh, we'll take one more, because we are way over time. Lazily Diligent, thank you for Twitch Prime. Also, your question, I believe, was answered on Pactor Factor today. Um, do we have another one? Here we, Here's one from Nox Astronitis. Good old Jeff Grubb, he's a, an excellent writer from VentureBeat says investments are better than putting money in the bank right now. I don't know what that's in relation to, but generally mm-hmm. that's right forever. Usually, <laughs> yeah, the banks don't pay don't, anything You don't out. ever want to put your money in the bank, man. You're going to make nothing. <laughs> the money you make on putting your money in the bank, you're just keeping from losing it. That's pretty much yeah, it. Don't ever put your money in the bank as a, as a strategy to make money. No, it's the the, the days do. where you can get like 10 15% on, uh, on like CDs and stuff, long gone. Yep. Congrim uh, won, last one, because that was an easy one. Um, earlier today, Sony invested $200 million more into Epic to help create the metaverse, totaling $450 million within a year as of now, and also added Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn into Fortnite. Uh, besides the obvious goal of money, do you theorize there is more to Sony's investment besides a return on investment uh, for these partnerships, perhaps joining forces long-term in some storefront or collaboration? Well, I think it does go back to what we were saying earlier about Sony of the three having the least cash to make moves. Um, Even Nintendo dwarfs Sony as far as having cash on hand to make big bets. Uh, So it wouldn't surprise me if Sony has tried to ally with some other big company to have a little more, um, to become a little more nimble and be able to make acquisitions and do things like that. Do I think this is going to result in like a, an alliance that's like publicly known? No. Do I think there might be some stuff happening behind the scenes that might be, some people might consider a little shady? Maybe. Um, Do I think it might result in Sony getting preferential treatment with games like Fortnite or eventually in the metaverse? Probably. Um, Do I think it's really all that bad? No. Uh, It's it's still, even another $200 million, it's, I, I know it's hard to comprehend this, but it is really just a drop in the bucket. I mean, Epic flushed that down the toilet just trying to compete with Steam. So it's, I know it's hard to understand because we all bust our asses and make like no money. But when you're talking about big corporations like this, like those are tiny bets, really. Um, I mean, look at what 
Microsoft ended up paying for Bethesda. Look at what EA ended up paying for Codemasters. Those are bigger bets. Um, this is just a drop in the bucket, relatively speaking. So anything to add to that, Matt? Not really. Okay. I mean, it just seems like pretty standard promotional pay. I mean, when you're looking at something as monolithic and, and popular as Fortnite, like Sony wants to be, you know, Sony wants basically a Call of Duty deal. You know, come to us first. Let us let us talk about it first. Let us put it up on the store first. Yep. Um, okay. So I think that's it for episode 251. You guys got a lot of bonus time today. Hot dog. You got a ton of bonus time in this episode. Thanks to everyone who stuck around in the chat all the way to the end. It was a long uh, episode of the show. Again, I want to remind you, this Saturday, everyone who pledges 7 bucks or more can be a part of Ashing Anything Live. Uh, you guys bring all your questions. I'll answer as many as I can uh, before I have to get out to go and get my first vaccine, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, if you want to help us out, if you're watching the show on YouTube or if you're listening to the show on pretty much any podcast service, and also folks on YouTube, we sometimes get requests for people who want podcast feeds of our shows. They're out there. Game Face is on every podcast service. It's on the App Store. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on iHeartRadio. It's on Spotify. It's everywhere. Um, and you can subscribe to that. I think you probably get the show in the audio version either on the same day as you're getting it on YouTube now because we bumped up that time on YouTube or maybe a day later. Uh, but regardless, if you want to take it on the go and you don't want to have YouTube playing on your phone or whatever while you're going on a walk or you're working out or whatever, you can get it. Um, and again, if you're getting the show free, if you're watching it on Twitch for free or you're on any of those services or on YouTube, we could really, really appreciate your help. Uh, we are, we've had a really tough year with COVID. We have lost so much of our revenue. Um, and I know it doesn't look like it if you just watch our Patreon, but we had a ton of people who used to subscribe via the website and we have lost almost all of them at this point. And we really, really need some help. So if you go to patreon.com slash sifted uh, and pledge whatever you want, if you pledge seven bucks or more, you can get on in on the ask Shane anything, which is uh, going down this, uh, this week, this Saturday. Um, also, if you can't afford to give us anything, there's always switch prime. And if you're watching on YouTube, that's down in the description. Um, and also, if you can't do either of those, as Pac likes to say, at the very least, you should follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Dinfire. You can follow. You can find Matt at M Kyle, and you can find Sifted at Sifted Games. So thanks to everyone for watching live on the stream, asking great questions, all the Twitch Prime, all the bits. I think we hit. I think we hit the hype train again, Matt. Like in the first like <clears throat> ten minutes of the show, it's really awesome. I appreciate everything that you guys are doing. I will see you next Tuesday right back here at twitch.tv slash siftedgames for the next episode of Game Face. Until then, Game Face is up and out. <laughs>